0: Welcome to the First Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tad. If this is your first time listening to First Time Podcast, it's really, really simple. Either me, my guest, or both of us have experienced something for the first time. It's usually a movie, but sometimes it can be something completely out of left field, and we talk about it. If you've clicked on this one, you probably know what this episode is, but I have a returning guest. Welcome back to First Time Podcast. Returning to the show, my good friend and filmmaker, Brian Crew.
1: Yeah, happy to be back. I'm excited to talk about this.
0: I was sort of looking back, and it—I think last year's Oscars were pushed back a little bit because of the obvious. But um, it's been just about a year since we uh, we did an episode, and I should have you on on a non-Oscar episode so we can watch something that's not absolutely ha- highbrow, and uh, you know, have you on here for <laughs> a million movies because it's you—you you have the biggest task as far as any of my guests. <laughs> um, you know, I usually have people on for one movie and there's like f- over 50. So, um, I, I, really do appreciate you agreeing to do this a second time. It wasn't too traumatizing the first time. So, uh, you're, you came back I mean, for to... seconds
1: i try to watch all the oscar nominees anyways so this kind of gives me a little focus and a little purpose it's like okay we're actually recording i have to sound like i know what i'm talking about with other people listening so it, it gives me some good motivation to finish off this list which is always something i want to do
0: yeah I, I was super glad you agreed to come back because i got so much great feedback from last time they're like holy awesome. they had no idea about a lot of the politics that go on behind the, the scenes and how the other award ceremonies sort of match up so i think a lot of people learned a whole lot from that last episode. And usually people don't learn things on this podcast. They, they learn <laughs> what movies I like and don't like, but they don't learn a whole lot about um, the actual process of things. So I think uh, you really do bring an awesome insight to this.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I I'm, mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share the, the nerd trivia running around in my head. It's, it's, it's good to get it out.
0: <laughs> so last time I had you on, which I said was a little less than a year ago, you were in the, the post- on two of your short films. Um, (laughs) I I sort of know where they stand now, but I guess you you have some pretty big news about one of them at least. And um, I'm just curious about the second one. So maybe uh, talk again about what both of these films are and where you are in the process.
1: So uh, right before the pandemic, literally like about a month before it went down, um, it was, I think we started production on February 16th. We shot two short films back to back at the same location. Uh, the first was the first day we shot a short film called Flat Earther, which is a nine-minute drama, and we shot it all as one continuous take, so it's a it's a wonder. And then the second film we shot over the, the next four days, and it's called Cabaceo, and it's an Argentine tango fantasy. Um, and so we went into it's funny. I, I we finished the shorts, I went right into a friend's wedding that I was the best man at, and then right as I was coming back from the literally before I could come back from the wedding, the pandemic hit, and so it changed our post-production schedule and our, you know, our plans, it changed everyone's plans. When we came back, we had to finish post in uh, quarantine basically. And since my producer and I really had no interest in finishing or in screening the films for uh, a virtual audience in festivals, a lot of festivals were doing virtual screenings. We really wanted to show the films in theaters. So we we kind of, we dragged our feet a little bit in post-production because there just wasn't a deadline. But uh, thankfully now, uh, in-person film festivals seem to be coming back and cabaseo our argentine tango fantasy film is going to be coming uh having its world premiere at the phoenix film festival on april 1st and i'm going to be there with my producer matt kyle our costume designer and our star choreographer jennifer Barry. and really looking forward to that one and right now we're racing to finish flat earther which you'd think would be an easier task because it's all one shot and it would require no editing but it actually has an intense amount of uh visual effects because there's a green screen element on a tv monitor that's you, the visual effects artists have to track because it's handheld and so it's constantly moving and so it's a lot of what we call keyframing to make sure the tv picture stays in the screen where it's supposed to be to match all the movement and then uh there's also some production gear we had in the shots because it's all one shot and we just couldn't frame everything out properly so we we knew we were going to paint it out so we're racing due to that and hopefully first week of may we may be premiering at a film festival in the midwest i can't say which one because it might not happen
0: okay well that's exciting to hear that that one is also on the finish line because i saw the trailer um, for Cabisio mm. and uh, you know, thought that looked awesome, and obviously, you know, I, I, I have uh, how do I say it? A way to watch it myself, you know, a little uh, a, a way that <laughs> may, maybe someone submitted it to my festival, so you know, I have a little insider yep. link to it, but uh, I'm excited to see if the uh, if Flat Earther can make it, and you know, you might know someone with a uh, deadline extension too, so you know, if it doesn't make it by uh, May first, you know.
1: Yeah, we're, no, we're, I'm definitely, uh, you guys are on my list. And uh, one of the reasons I'm racing to finish Flat Earth is just so I can start submitting it to festivals. So I'm, um, I, I, I want to get it out there more than anyone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it sounds like quite a bit of a post on that one. Um, I don't envy you because I know that can be a nightmare.
1: Yeah, no, it is. It's, um, I think it's a lot more than any of us thought. But one of the fun things about making short films is that, you know, you pick subjects and uh filmmaking styles that you don't know and you kind of get to learn how to achieve those when you're doing it and i i wanted to learn how to do a a long nine minute take how to do a one and i have um i would you know certainly do aspects of the physical production differently now knowing what i know in post but i didn't know that going in and that was part of the process and that's kind of fun to learn
0: yeah i think every short like Everybody I, I was talking to filmmakers, they sort of learn something. and it was really interesting this last year we had our first um, in person festival back again at Snake Alley. and um, because we had or- we were almost at the you know, the point where we were going to have our event and then everything shut down that we we kept all those films because they never got an opportunity to screen in a theater. And it was mm. like a, a whole year had passed since they even submitted it and two years for most of them, since they filmed it. And it was like, I heard some feedback where they're like, man, like that was painful to watch. Cause I've gotten so much better in the last two years on things. And, uh, <laughs> and others were like, I sort of, you know, it's been so long since I watched it. It was sort of cool to see it again, like seeing it for the first time again, cause it's been so long. So, uh, it was nice to sort of get these movies out you know, and on the screen, so many people like were just ready to get out and and do it, and so I'm excited to. Uh, fingers crossed that you know things stay where they are now, and you know, right. su- this summer we can all get back out to festivals and see movies on the big screen like they're intended to be
1: yeah that's the best part about being out there is is just i mean films are meant to be with an audience not by yourself and i think that's that's the funnest part is is feeling that crowd reaction so i'm i'm glad we're getting back to that space and it's 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 gonna and it's gonna be safe for everyone to be back in that space that's the best part because you want to become you want to want everybody to feel comfortable in that area and that's great and i you know i think the funnest thing you, what you said about you know filmmakers saying i'm such a better filmmaker now and i think every filmmaker watches the film they've made and goes, God, I'm a better filmmaker than I was when I started this. Like I could do this better now than when I did it, when I did it, but that's the growth process of being a filmmaker. And that's kind of the fun part.
0: Yeah. You don't want to have the uh, George Lucas effect where you just keep going back to your film (laughs) and changing things. But uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I I was just so happy to sort of, and luckily we had at the Capitol, it's 350 seats and uh, Mm. you know, enough room for everybody to sort of spread out and, um you know we're very fortunate to have a big theater where a lot of festivals are in smaller s- several smaller rooms and just wouldn't work that way and i, I tried to yeah. attend a few virtual fests and um i applaud the effort of uh, festival directors who mm-hmm. were, who are were trying to make that happen but i just could not you know it's cool to see movies but it's like i, I really i miss the interaction it's all it just sort of made me appreciate in person festivals so much more so i was like yeah we're not doing it until we can do it in person so uh yeah. yeah, I'm happy to it have makes it a lot back. Of sense. Yeah, so I guess we should get to the subject at hand because it's a very big one. As I said earlier, um, if you click this episode, you know what we're doing. But this is our second annual Oscar special. So this year, I decided, after last year, I was like, maybe we should go in the order that the actual broadcast went in 2021. I, I think it changed. Does it change every year? You would know this.
1: It, I think it's it does alter every year. Usually, I think in the past, they've always started with like Best Supporting Actor or Actress, because uh, they want to get one of those acting awards out of the way. But this year is going to be very different because of some changes to the broadcast uh, structure. So, yeah, I, I think this year is going to be a, a unique order.
0: And which ones are they, did they cut from the broadcast this year that has um, everybody pretty pissed off?
1: Yeah, I think it's, let's see here, it is, uh, it's the three short f- film categories. I believe production design, editing, uh, let's see here. I There's think a couple e- other ones. Editing
0: was one that people were really upset about. I mean, obviously all of them sh- should be broadcast, but editing is huge like i can't believe they're they're just cutting that from the broadcast that's wild
1: yeah i think it's it's the idea is is that they're not cut from the broadcast and this is this was kind of a part of the problem of the clickbait headlines that kind of came out with it is the idea is is that the red carpet starts at four and the and the broadcast starts at five so while the red carpet is happening at four o'clock the uh broadcast will have um or the um the, the ceremony will have started inside the Adobe uh, the, the Theater, and they're going to present the awards for film editing, production design, sound, makeup and hairstyling, original score, and the three short film categories. They will tape those, and then during the broadcast, they will replay the tape of the broadcast or, or of the uh, presentation of the awards. So they, the awards are not so much cut from the broadcast. But they're going to be presented on um, as a tape package rather than an actual live. Okay. And kind of the bummer for it is, is that they're going to announce on Twitter uh, who the winners are. So we will know those. So no before surprise. The, yeah. Yeah. There's there's no surprise. There's no suspense. There's none of that kind of recognition. I think that, you know that kind of buildup that happens. And I think you know, especially speaking as like a short filmmaker, that's a bummer. I mean, I think that's one of the few arenas where I love seeing those unknown independent filmmakers um, get on stage and suddenly look back and they see the celebrities in the front row and kind of lose their minds and it's fun to watch that and it's fun to watch it live um, and kind of live vicariously through them because you know we all kind of want to be there so I I, I think it's a bummer and I think you know the job the job of the academy is to educate in part in part the job of the academy is to educate the film uh, viewing public on what the art of the motion picture it's the motion picture uh academy of motion picture arts and sciences it's in the name arts and sciences and we're supposed to be it's supposed to be educating people what it's about so the fact that they've uh you know seemingly sidelined these to a degree um not completely because like i said you'll see the speeches at least on on the air but it's it's it it seems contrary to the academy's mission but on the other hand they want to broadcast and they want to have a lot of large numbers and they need the advertising dollars cuz the bulk of the academy's budget comes through their deal with ABC for the television broadcast that's where they get a lot the, the vast majority of the money to run the academy and so they're facing a basically financial constrictions of if they can't keep the ratings up they'll lose the contract they lose their money it's hard to operate the academy so it's an interesting issue i'll i'm curious to see how it goes it's certainly not something i would want them to do Um, and I think, you know, that you can see, you can Google it and see that the vast majority of the people in the industry agree. Um, we'll see how it plays out.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I can sort of see, I, I really didn't know the financial, like that they depended on that, um, advertising for the Oscars. I assumed, you know, ABC shows it, ABC gets advertising, but that's interesting because I think people are quick to jump. And I mean, even I just a few minutes ago before I knew the whole story was sort of like, uh, you know, it's a balance between the general public watching this thing and and getting ratings versus who versus, you know, playing this for the people in the industry, you know? And it was interesting. Like I think Seth Rogen came out and sort of said like, I don't get why normal people would care about the Oscars. I don't care about (laughs) like the car awards or whatever, you know, whoever wins the safety awards every year, whether it's Ford or Toyota or whatever, he's like, why do, why should we expect the normal, uh, public to give a shit who about these awards but i've also you know i, I talk talked to a lot of people who just do not watch these these movies and are like you know what mm-hmm. if i mean i think it was last year or the year before they were talking about doing that popular movie category which backfired mm-hmm. um i i sympathize with them because they have this weird they have to find the balance between arts and education and getting viewers and you know it's and it's interesting that it's financial. Of course, everything comes down to money in the end, but uh, it's like, I just wish more people would watch it, but, you know, I understand why my friends who've never seen any of these besides what's on Netflix, you know, I I, I think out of everything on this list, I've uh, the one I've heard most about is The Power of the Dog, and I feel like that's just because it's on Netflix, so.
1: Yeah, well, I think that the Netflix issue is part of the problem, is that we're in an era where I don't think people... I think the, the lines between streaming and TV and motion picture are blurring and kind of what qualifies as an Academy award potential is odd. Um, and that, and that is, is hard to, uh, I think for the public to kind of cheer for. I think there's so many movies. I think there's also too many award shows in general. Yeah. Um, And I think, so I think the value of the Oscars has been uh, degraded, but I also think the, 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 um, the Oscars have fallen in on their own snobbishness. It this the way they the way they pick the awards and what is and doesn't qualify has changed. Like there was an era where Rocky could win Best Picture, where Star Wars was nominated, where the Lord of the Rings films were nominated, um, where we nominated popular films, um, and that has, that's really dropped away. And the idea of doing ten Best Picture nominees, and this year they forced the ten picture. Before it used to be. It was for a long time. It was five nominees, and then, then for a while, for the past ten years, since *The Dark Knight* failed to get, get a nomination in 2008, they switched to you can have five nominees guaranteed, and then if there's enough votes, you can have up to ten. They never quite got to ten. This year, they forced the ten, hoping to get a popular film in there,
2: and, yeah. and they
1: <laughs> they really quite didn't. Um, and I, you know, I I love the idea of the Best Picture nominees getting attention to films like *Belfast* and *Coda* and *Don't Look Up* and films that people maybe not would have seen otherwise, but you got to throw in, you know, I don't, I, you know, maybe Spider-Man No Way Home was worthy. Maybe it wasn't, but I mean, I love the film, but um, you got to throw something in there for the public to kind of, cause they, they look at that list and like, I haven't seen anything, but if they look at the list and say, Oh, I've seen three of those, mm-hmm. then they're more likely to kind of, they have a, they have a little more stake. They have feel like they've achieved something. Like right now, the majority of the people probably look at that list and go, I saw Dune.
0: Right, yeah,
1: <laughs> and uh, and that, that's unfortunately it.
0: I remember a few years ago when the uh, Bradley Cooper, like, uh, what he played like a soldier or uh, the sort of controversial uh, military guy, I forget the name of the yeah. movie. Uh, was that a, American uh, Sniper exactly? And that one was up for a lot of awards. and I feel like a lot of the general public saw that. And it was interesting Mm -hmm. because they suddenly cared about the Oscars and they're like really rooting strong for that one, even though they had never seen it outside of an animated feature, they had not seen any other movies. And it was like, this is a weird juxtaposition where it's like the, these people who watched one movie on the list are just rooting for it so hard against all these other movies they've never seen. But it was like, at least they're caring and watching, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I think if like Black Panther was in uh, a few years ago and Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, I feel like people, everybody saw that. I mean, everybody. <laughs> so it was sort of like, you know, they did, get, they did fit a popular movie in there. I don't know if it affected uh, rate, ratings, but, um, you know, it, it's weird to force 10 films. But uh, here we are.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of support the idea of going back to the dual best picture model, which is the model that they had at the very first Academy Awards. There were two best picture categories. One was outstanding picture and one was best unique and artistic picture. And then they have retroactively called the outstanding picture, the best picture for that year. Um, I I think some division of, of outstanding picture and artistic picture would be a good thing to readopt. I think they made a mistake calling it the most popular film because it sounds condescending. Right. Um, I'd almost maybe say, you know, every, you know, one best picture category for under 20 million and one best picture for over 20 million or some kind of distinction like that. That's not a sexy sounding name, but I mean, picking it up somewhere there because, you know, trying to say Power of Dog and Spider-Man No Way Home belong in the same category or even Power of Dog and Dune belong in the same category. I mean, that's such an apples to oranges comparison. Um, You know, I I think it's completely justified. But the other flip side of that is if if you go back to a split best picture category like they did in the first Oscars, now we're adding time to the the broadcast and um, you add time to the broadcast. Hopefully you pull in more viewers, but then there's also the issue of uh, the broadcast gets longer. People may tune out and uh, ABC can't pull in their advertising dollars and can't justify giving the flat fee to the Academy for the broadcast.
0: Man, like that sort of just blows my mind. Like now that you mentioned, like it comes down to the advertising stuff. I mean, it makes sense, but I just I had no idea that's sort of what was affecting it. I mean, obviously a longer broadcast, you're going to lose people because they feel like it drags on. But I mean, longer broadcasts, more ads. I don't know. But um... yeah, well,
1: and it's also an East Coast West Coast thing, you know. Oh yeah, I, the, for sure. Here, I, I'm giving start times. The red carpet here in LA it's four o'clock, and the broadcast is at five o'clock. Um, add three hours to so that, the Oscars aren't starting till 8, 8, 8 p.m. on the East Coast on a Sunday night.
0: <laughs> yeah, ends at midnight. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's it's that's a long show. That's a lot to ask from people in New York and uh, on the East Coast. So it's um, I you know I I. It, it, they're not in an easy position. I think in a lot of ways they have to just make a stand and say, we're the fucking Oscars. This is what we do and we do it really well and just own it. And I think that's the best course of action for them, but they do need to o- find ways to open up, you know, for the, uh, for, the, for the popular films and make it accessible to people with the films that people have seen and not feel like they're talking down to the general public because that does occasionally happen. And I think if you acknowledge the popular films while also honoring the more artistic films, you'll get the artistic films, the eyeballs that they want. And I think that's really the goal is to get people excited about the movies. And I think the Oscars are kind of failing in that. And these are all fantastic films that everyone should see. But, um, you know, if you, if you start condescending to your audience, you're not going to get there. You're not going to get them over. We're not going to win them over.
0: Right. I mean, if you try to attend to the general public, you might lose those viewers that you, the, the only people that are watching it right now, you know, like people like us, mm-hmm. just uh, movie fans and lovers that do watch it. You start throwing in stuff just to, to lure in people. And suddenly you're losing your original fan base too. And I don't know. I I don't, like I said, I don't envy them trying to figure this out. They've been trying to figure it out for years now. I hope they eventually get back and, you know, get some, get a decent amount of viewers so that we can keep this going. Cause I don't want it to just sort of disappear off of the air and maybe make it just streaming. I don't know. I hope, you know, it never comes to that, but.
1: I hope not. And I think we're going to, we're, we are building momentum. I think these are the 91st Oscars I want to say. And so we're, I'm hoping we kind of can build some momentum and some, uh, to the the 100th oscars and i think that would be that's such an incredible idea of having a hundred of these ceremonies and uh, such a long history now it's it's quite the institution it would be a shame to lose it and um i you know the academy just opened a museum here in los angeles and i i can't I'm, they're they're not folding at any point in, in the process I, hopefully they're growing and they're learning and there's going to be a leadership change this year as one of their directors don hudson exits and so i think she did a great job of uh, expanding some things in her time, and I uh, hopefully the next uh, generation here will pick it up and take it even farther.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, I guess just to uh, get rolling here, we should go with yeah, the first one. We should, and I was we uh, talk about some movies. Yeah, well, like I said earlier, I'm I'm going this year in the order that they were last year. They won't be the same as they are this year. Um, it's interesting. Like when I looked it up, I, apparently, and it doesn't it shouldn't surprise me, but there was betting lines on like what order they'll put these in last year, they switched up <laughs> things. And and it, I, I guess like, you know, people who yeah. are betting will bet on anything, but they, they switched Probably. it up and it changed things uh, quite a bit, but um just to switch things up, we're going to go off of last year's. Um, and, and again, we're recording this and this will be dropping before the, a week before the Oscars. But, um, you know, Listen in on this, listen to Brian, not me. Listen to Brian, and and uh, you know, use that for your uh Oscar pool at work or wherever. And uh, I think you'll be oh. in pretty good shape. Last year, I, I tried to keep up with you. I'm like, I'm just gonna listen to Brian this year, and uh, that, that's how I'm filling out my ballot. <laughs> I
1: mean, I, mean I, I generally, on average, will somehow miss five uh, because I'll I'll overthink something or I'll fall in love with something that I shouldn't have fallen in love with, but I'll I'll give you the either or is in most categories of probably the, the two probable winners. So and hopefully
0: we, yeah, will be close. Uh, missing 5 out of 23 is pretty good average. So uh, you know it's yeah, almost yeah. it's hard to hit uh, exact but uh, our first category is a big one. We're going to go with mm-hmm. original screenplay. And oh, wow. Our, yeah, okay. that that's what came first last week they or last year they opened it right up with the best original screenplay. Um, and this year, our nominees are Belfast with Kenneth Brana. We have Don't Look Up, Adam McKay, and David Serrata. We have King Richard, um, written by Zach Balin, and Licorice Pizza by Paul Thomas Anderson. So I guess the first thing we... Oh, would... and, and
1: the worst person in the world.
0: Yes, and worst person in the world. Um, so what I, first thing, I guess, is um, your prediction, and then we'll sort of talk about if we were voting, what we would vote for.
1: Uh, Well, I think the prediction-wise, this is going to come down to two films. Uh, It's going to be either Belfast or Licorice Pizza. The other indicator, or the the two indicators for Belfast are it's won the Critics' Choice Awards, and we're not supposed to talk about the Golden Globes anymore, but it did win the Golden Globe. Um, (laughs) And the other, uh, uh, Licorice Pizza won the BAFTA, uh, which is the British Film Academy. Um, The interesting thing about this category is that as we're recording this sunday morning tonight are the wga awards and usually the guild awards like i talked about last year are the predictors of um what the eventual oscar winners are going to be the interesting thing is wga has very particular rules about what can and can't be nominated It has to be done under the writers guild of america contract and so not all of these films were so there's only three crossover nominees uh don't look up licorice pizza and king richard the other nominees are not we're not eligible for the WGA awards. So Belfast isn't on that list. So it it, it makes it hard. Belfast, Licorice Pizza could very likely win the WGA Award tonight, which would put it as the front runner by a lot of people's uh measure. And there's a good shot. Paul Thomas Anderson has had eleven nominations as a producer, director, writer over the years, and he has no wins. So he's definitely due. Um I think Belfast also has an interesting story. Kenneth Branagh has been a little more prevalent on the award circuit, which is where you're doing podcasts and interviews and Q and A's. He's also was promoting death of the Nile, his other latest film. So he had a chance to kind of be more visible. He also set an Oscar record this year. He um, beat George Clooney and Walt Disney, who had had six nominations or nominations in six different categories. And Kenneth Branagh actually with this nomination has now, he's had eight nominations total. And he's had them across seven different categories wow. over the course of his career Absolutely. so he is that's a cool record um i think both uh both both kenneth Branagh and uh paul thomas anderson are due i i won't be surprised if either one's wins going into my preference i really loved belfast belfast really spoke to me i i thought that was a really great film uh i really felt a connection with the characters um certain parts of the ending especially broke my heart and uh, i really felt that one i enjoyed licorice pizza but i didn't quite have the same emotional reaction to it so i would tend to give it to belfast
0: yeah i i finally i saw the worst person in the world last night and that was like the mm-hmm. final one i had to see on this category um loved them all um uh, it's funny because i listened and, and quick little side story sort of funny i listened to um high and mighty a podcast a comedy podcast and mm. the host of that um John gabris, a comedian he ha' just a hilarious side story um related <laughs> to king richard he was he he did his Oscar episode last week and he told the story that he had an old friend he knew from when he worked at v h one as like a stage or someone that just like helped out p a something and uh he had a friend a female friend uh that had just moved to l a that like maybe this time last year and uh she was like do you want to go on a double date with me and my my husband You never met him it's like sure so they go out to eat um his uh his wife couldn't make it so he ended up just being sort of the third wheel and so he shows up and she introduces uh her husband to him and he's like it's like oh what do you do you just guys just moved to la and he's like um i'm a screenwriter uh you know, and uh, Gabrus being in L.A. for several years now as a comedian was like, oh, man, that's, you know, that's really cool. You know, uh, there's so many people here trying to do that. It's it's like everybody's dream. Uh, you know, good luck with that, man. It's a really tough industry. Like, have you written anything I've heard about? And he's like, uh, well, you know, I'm writing this like thing about the, the Williams sisters like, and they're, you know, the tennis players and, you know, they're doing this thing. And he's like, oh, that sounds cool. Like, you know, good luck with that. And he's like, well, we got Will, Purdue- Will uh, Smith attached to it and he's like oh okay and he thought this guy was sort of like full of shit and turned out he was the the husband was zach Balin who wrote uh king richard so okay so that was original screenplay and then the next category is another big one it is best adapted screenplay our nominees are coda cyan heater we have drive my car i'm gonna butcher these names Ryusuke hamaguchi and takamasa oi um we have sounds pretty good yeah, Dune um, by John Spathes, uh, Dennis Venaview and Eric Roth, um, The Lost Daughter by Maggie Gyllenhaal, and then The Power of the Dog, Jane uh, Campion. This is an interesting one. These are some pretty heavy hitters. Uh, I'm very curious to hear your predictions and uh, your pick for this one.
1: Well, I think this is, this is going to be the, the early one that's going to tell you where best picture is going to lie.
0: And again,
1: we have that issue with the WGA. The WGA Awards, again, are tonight. Uh, in adapted screenplay, only, there's only two crossover films, Coda and Dune. The other films didn't qualify under um, the WGA rules. So WGA, the other nominees are Tick, Tick, Boom, West Side Story, and Nightmare Alley, which are not in this category. Um, I would suspect that Coda will win the WGA award tonight. Um, I think that feels like the way this is going. Um, Coda just won the Producers Guild Award uh, last night, which is another big indicator. If Coda wins the WGA and it it wins the Oscar that night, uh, that definitely positions, this is a good early indicator that Coda might be winning Best Picture. Um, If Jane Campion wins for Power of Dog, um, and she won the Critics' Choice Award, Coda won the BAFTA Award, the the British Film Academy. if, if if she wins uh, for screenplay for Power of the Dog, uh, that's going to early indicate her that Power of the Dog might be winning Best Picture, because I think she's uh, a good shot for director not to jump too far ahead. But um, I think it, it's going to be a toss-up between those two, and we'll learn a lot about how the night's going to play out from this category. I personally would go with Coda. Um, uh, Power of the Dog is amazing. It's a fantastic film, but Coda just, it, it, it was a joy. It was an utter joy to watch. The The characters were fantastic. I think I had tears in my eyes most of the movie. Um, it just, I just really felt that movie um, kind of in the same way that uh, with Belfast, where I just was really emotionally involved in the film um, and not like intellectually thinking, oh, that's cool. That's really good what they're doing there. Like Coda, I was feeling it the whole time. So I would give this to Coda myself. and um but those are the two that go either way. Uh, you have, I think you have a 50-50 shot with those two. Um, anything could happen.
0: I would, I would actually agree with you on CODA. I think if you're listening to this and you're sort of like, you're not going to watch all the nominees, I think this is like one of the more, uh, in, in not condescending way, just one of the more accessible ones. I think the
2: mm-hmm. rest of
0: the films are sort of a bummer, like a big-time bummer. <laughs> Um, and, Co- and Coda, you know, it has emotional moments, obviously, but it's very uplifting and um, inspirational yeah. and a great story. And, uh, yeah. you know, something that you can actually like, you know, if you if you're a parent and you want your you know, you have your something you can watch with your kids outside of the um, animated feature film, you know, maybe not like toddler age, but someone who who would understand a teenager or something. Just uh, totally just a, a good or a re- like feel good movie, but not just not not just your like normal mainstream movie either like falls in the middle and I really liked yep. it you know
1: yeah it's got that indie vibe but it's also incredibly accessible and kind of brings back movies like uh, my big fat Greek wedding and those kind of, when we made there were there were indie films that the general public could relate to it's not quite totally the same there but it's it is that kind of in that kind of category I think the this is one of those ones where I think it's really sad because I think people see Coda people see that it is about a deaf cast and then they see it's on Apple TV. And, um, I think that's a hard sell because if either you have Apple and you're an Apple person or you're not,
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and, um, I think that th- there is a barrier there for, to, to get people to watch it because they have to sign up for yet another streaming service. And it's not something that was widely available in cinemas. Um, and this is part of that problem that the Oscars are facing is that, the, you know, it's a fantastic, deserving film that everyone should see and there's an accessibility issue. And I think this is this is a challenge that the Oscars have, but I really do hope that CODA gets some really great recognition and well-deserved recognition on Oscar night, because I think it's something that we should really be kind of shouting to people to see, because they're really they're like, no, sit down, watch this. You're going to love it, trust me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be awesome if they did something like, um... I think prime made some of their short, like their social justice shorts uh, a few years mm-hmm. ago available for free to anybody. And it'd be great if, you know, even for a week before the Oscars, just let, yeah. you know, let people watch it, throw it up on YouTube or throw it somewhere. It's accessible justice one. And then people will be like, Oh, you know, this is uh this is the kind of stuff they have on Apple TV. They have quality stuff. Yeah. Maybe I'll sign up, you know, get them a few people. And uh, you know, it's, it's a movie that you could show in schools. I mean, it's just so, uh, so good. It's,
1: it's so good. And I, I, I think you're right. I think, you know, kind of the, the retail equivalent, equivalent of a loss leader. It's like, yeah, that's fine. We know that's going to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Reel them in with it. Give them, you know, or uh, they're a drug dealer. Give them a taste of Coda and then they'll, they'll pay for your product.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it might, you know, and, and in hand that gets people to watch the Oscars because they saw something that's on the list.
1: Yeah, and I think Coda, if you've seen Coda and you felt Coda, you're gonna want to watch the Oscars and cheer for Coda. Yes. Um. And I think that's the kind of thing that the Oscars really need, and the, that's the kind of thing they're hoping for. So, I, 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 it's, it's, I, I really do hope it has a great night and more people see this film because it's it, it's, it's the one film I was uh, as I was watching that I texted like my mom and my sister and like, and like you guys need to watch this.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. gonna love it. Yeah, and I think it was one of the first in the U S um, films to have English subtitles, like, like burned in to all the, mm. all the, um, all the versions, like everywhere it went uh, DCPs, I guess if every theater oh, really? it played in, it just had um, subtitles, whether not just for hard of hearing people, like it was all on every screen. It played in the theater. Interesting. Yeah.
1: The fascinating thing was when I watched it on Apple TV, the subtitles weren't forced. So I got a couple seconds. Yeah. And I was like, oh, whoops. Same, same I here. I to turn the subtitles on.
0: <laughs> yeah. Me and Nikki started watching it and she was like, are we just supposed to like sort of like, you know, learn what they're signing? I'm like, no, I think there's probably subtitles for it turned on. I'm like, okay, this should just automatically be on. But
1: yeah, it, it, it's a again, it's a weird accessibility thing. I, I ex- I've experienced that a lot because with, with a lot of these films, as I got into the the foreign language films or even. Watching one of the, the documentary shorts this morning that was filmed in Afghanistan, and it, uh, Netflix forced the English dub. And I had to, like, this isn't right. Like, I have the subtitles, and the subtitles don't match the dub. And it was, it confused me for a couple of minutes until I just realized I could, tr- I could switch over to the actual language it was filmed in and then just keep yeah. the. English subtitles on. It's a the, the streaming services' attempt to make everything easy for us does cause some artistic confusion.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of the next category is international feature film, and this is one mm. I did. I I have not seen um, two of the nominees, but we have uh, Drive My Car from Japan, we have mm-hmm. Flee from Denmark, uh, the Hand of God from Italy, Luana the Yak in, cla- in the Classroom from Bhutan, and mm-hmm. the Worst Person in the World from Norway uh like i said i did not see the hand of god it looked fantastic i saw it sitting there i think it's on netflix and i really wanted to watch Uh it um just ran out of time and uh lunana the yak in the classroom i do not know a thing about so uh (laughs) have you seen all these
1: i have seen all these um i really loved uh yak in the classroom uh that was filmed it's a film filmed in uh the country of bhutan which is just south of nepal and just north of india and it's actually a country i got to spend a week in um several years ago and it's a it's it, it is they, they it's kind of jokingly or not jokingly they very literally refer to it as the happy happiest place on the planet and it's because it's just one of the most gorgeous places on earth you will ever see and so the cinematography and the views uh, in that film are fantastic so if you just want to Watch one of the most picturesque films you've ever seen uh luana the, the yak in the classroom is is a uh, is, is just absolutely gorgeous it's a pretty standard teacher student film um uh i uh you know I, I really did enjoy it i don't think it's gonna win anything i think the, the victory here is i think this is only the second time a film from bhutan has been nominated for the international oscar i think there was a soccer film called the cup a few years ago um so I, it's a it it's a great film. It's a great insight into a, a culture and an area of the world that I don't think many people know about. Um, Hand to God is a uh, Italian film, Italian family film. It's about a it's really about the director's life. Um, it was something he was inspired to make after watching um, Alfonso Cuarón's film um, Roma and um lost the name roma in my head there for a second got it back (laughs) Um, (laughs) and uh it's a very fun vibrant film uh i think there's definitely a a european sensibility to that that i think will have a couple things that shock american audiences um and it's definitely told in that other and another kind of you know, cinematic language that American audiences aren't quite used to, which is kind of the joy of watching these categories. But I think really when you're looking at the best international feature for predictions, you want to look at the films that are nominated in multiple categories. And we yeah. have three here.
0: That's what I was going to say. Um, I mean, we have, we have yeah. one that's in best picture, so.
1: Yeah, that kind of is. I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. Usually I would say if you see something like worst person in the world that's nominated for best screenplay, that's going to win. But you have Drive My Car, which is nominated for also Best Director and Best Picture. And when only one of you're one of only five nominees nominated for Best Picture in, another, in Best International Film, you kind of already been declared the best right. picture. And, and Drive My Car has won the BAFTA, the Critics' Choice, the Golden Globe. It has every indicator. I, I would say this is one of the few categories where I'm like, there is, I mean, just check Drive My Car. It would be shocking if it did not win because it's just got so much momentum behind it.
0: Well, I was sort of rooting for another one that's, uh, sort of similar. Mm. There, there's some, there's some joke there, but it did not qualify. It was on the shortlist, but Titan was, uh, so something... oh, really? I watched that for our like, uh, year end horror episode. And I was like, this is right. on the shortlist. Uh, this is interesting and different, you know, we have drive my car and I guess screw my car with Titan, and, uh, <laughs> it didn't, it, yeah, it, was, it didn't make it the list. Palm horror, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You know, I was sort of bummed that it didn't make the list. But um, what I saw of this, what what did you think of uh, Drive My Car? I was I I mean, I thought it was great, but I was sort of surprised to see it in so many categories.
1: I mean, it is it is one of it's an absolutely fantastic film. The performances are great. I think I think probably the reason you're seeing it in so many categories is because of its dedication to diversity and language. For those who don't know, the film is about, uh, as a, a, a stage director, as he's grieving for the loss of his wife, stages a new play with some students, and his style is to do a known play. In this case, it's, from, it's one of Chekhov's plays. And he casts uh, an, all actors from different countries who speak different languages and allows them each to perform in their original language. So you have somebody from Taiwan, somebody from China, somebody from Japan, you have a a person who's deaf and they all are learning how to react to each other and communicate with each other despite these language, uh, you know, uh, restrictions. And it's, and it's a really fascinating film. It is just paced in that very kind of Japanese way when they're doing a film, you know, not in a Japanese anime way, which is very intense, but in this case it's a Japanese film about dealing with grief and they allow themselves the time to linger on shots. It's not, fastly paced it's three hours it it does feel it's three hours but yeah. it's a quite a cathartic journey um it is just certainly not in a language that i th- not in a cinematic language um visual cinematic visual language that i think most american audiences are used to watching for and probably a vast majority of them don't have the patience for um and i i haven't seen Titan, but i know that is quite the opposite and <laughs> <Yeah>. quite intense <laughs> and quite I've seen the trailer and I'm just like whoa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and that looks like a roller coaster and I it's on my list of things to see. I just haven't had a chance to check it out yet.
0: Well, I sort of had um an idea of what drive my car would be like because um even in Japan, even their horror movies are like that where um mm-hmm. audition, like one of my favorites, um it is absolutely you know, a very very slow uh tedious almost movie that builds the dread right up until the final minutes and you either have people who are like this is the most boring movie and the only thing that makes it watchable is the last 10 minutes and you have people that are like no they spend like 2 hours building you up to that so when it happens it it's more impactful and so I sort of felt mm-hmm. like okay I understand what you know this is how their cinema works Um, So, you know, it definitely like I said, it did feel like three hours, but I but I thought it was um, the way the story itself, like you said, with the different language barriers. It was fascinating. I've never really Mm -hmm. seen anything like that. So I can understand, you know, sort of um, breaking new ground in in that sense and and uh, really fantastic.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's a really good film. I think the one film we didn't mention yet, which we should, is Flea
0: um another one in multiple categories which
1: yeah and fleet is the fascinating one it's the first one ever nominated for international film animated film and documentary film yeah and uh it's a really amazing achievement for that film uh i think unfortunately that kind of split focus is going to counteract it in a lot of ways but and and this one like drive my car is such an obvious favorite i don't think we will win this but it's really worth noting uh the achievement of those filmmakers
0: Yeah, I I thought that was uh, really cool and and sort of goes back to your like apples and oranges comparison and best picture Mm -hmm. where, um, you know, this is best picture outside the US. Um, It's you're comparing an animated documentary to a long, really long (laughs) Japanese drama to, you know, it's they're all over the place. It's really hard to compare them. But, um, you know, that's that's what sort of the beauty of it, too, is, you know, you Mm -hmm. get such a grab bag of things. Uh, Yeah, it's cool.
1: Absolutely. it's one of my joys of watching the os of this time of year of watching these films because I, kind of just you have this list of amazing movies and I I do my best at this point if I haven't been exposed to a trailer or a synopsis not to read one and then just turn on the film and watch it and know I'm gonna go on a ride with an amazing movie, um and that's a lot of fun um it's 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 a fun way to watch movies and I I, I wish more people kind of give themselves over to that
0: experience that way. I've been trying to do that a little bit more in general for all movies. It's like if I know. I liked the director or the, or if it's Mm an a 24 movie, I know I'm going to watch it. So, uh, if I see, you know, trailer came out, just skip it. I'm going to see it. You know, I'm going to just wait. Yeah, I'm going to just wait and see it. So it makes it so much better.
1: Yeah. I'm already sold. You don't need to sell me. I just want to watch
0: it. So our next category already, another big one, um, actor Mm -hmm. in a supporting role. So, um, let's see if I can butcher some names. We have, uh, Serian Hines, uh kieran. kieran kieran Hines, and belfast i have
1: to I, my nephew's name is kieran so i really have to get that one right <laughs>
0: oh i appreciate it man and any help you uh throw my way correct me on these um i appreciate it there so is. i have uh troy kotzer and coda yep. jesse Plemons uh in the power of the dog jk simmons who is in everything this year in uh being the, being the ricardo's <laughs> And Cody Smith McPhee in The Power of the Dog. So we have two in Power of the Dog, which we've had before. We had, I think, in Judas of mm-hmm. the Black Messiah. We've had several um, supporting actors uh, going up against each other in, in films before. So it's not new, but it's, it's interesting always to see. It's sort of like uh, almost like two siblings. You know, they, they made this movie mm-hmm. together and they're going up against each other. But um, I'm very curious what you think, who this one goes to.
1: The fact that two actors from this film are actually uh, facing off against each other seems very appropriate for that movie. Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, But I think um, you know, J.K. Simmons is fantastic in being the Ricardos. He's won an Oscar in this category for Whiplash. So I I, I don't think he's in anyone's favorite list. Um, Kieran Hines was on and off uh, a bunch of lists. And so I um, I, again, I don't think he's much of a favorite. And uh, Jesse Plumes uh i think he's great but i think the real standout of that film is cody's uh smith mcphee and he was the early front runner for a lot of this and you can see he won the golden globe early on and the interesting thing is as more people have seen coda that's where the energy has been shifted to uh and troy Kutchner has won uh the sag the bafta and the critics choice awards in recent weeks and has really just kind of become a dead-on lock it seems like for best supporting actor and i have no issue with that i think that's who i would vote for and i think that's part of the emotional connection that people are feeling with coda um i do think it's interesting is that sometimes the academy does like to spread around um awards and there is the possibility that they may decide that giving troy the oscar here for coda checks the coda box Mm -hmm. and and so there is a chance if you see coda win supporting actor but not screenplay that's the line of thought that people have gone on and it's probably not gonna take best picture as you're watching the broadcast and it unfolds. Um if it wins both act supporting actor and screenplay, then they're on the Coda train and Coda has a very ch- good chance of winning Best Picture. Um but I think Troy either in either case is is going to win Best Supporting Actor.
0: Excellent. I uh yeah, I, I think JK Simmons was fantastic in a movie I did not love. Like <laughs> i I didn't love being the Ricardos. Um N- Nikki's a uh a huge Lucy fan. We actually did this one mm. as a podcast. We watched uh some classic episodes and ended up watching this movie. Um but I, I think the performances all around were, were sort of great. I think it was just the way they told the story, maybe. But um I think J.K. Simmons was probably the best part of that movie. He was fantastic, but uh I just I yeah. don't think it's like you said, he's he's won it recently and maybe just not uh Oscar worthy, but Oscar uh Nominee worthy, I would say.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think everybody here is worthy, and worthy is such an odd um, thing to apply to a very subjective. You know, there's no objective kind of category to really think about these things. But I do think you know there is something that happens where it's just like, oh, J.K. Simmons. We love J.K. Simmons. Yeah, mm-hmm. J.K. And a lot of it does come down, much like the public, it's name recognition. And sometimes that does happen. And you can see name recognition, both in terms of actor names and also in terms of film names, which is why you have two actors from the same film nominated in this category. Um, I think for being the Ricardos, it was obviously on everybody's radar because of Nicole Kidman, Mm -hmm. um, who was kind of the marquee. And you have Aaron Sorkin, who's obviously one of the premier writers in Hollywood. And so when you have the premier writer in Hollywood one of the premier actresses in Hollywood, and then you have an Academy Award winning actor in a supporting role, it puts him into the conversation much more quickly than it would if it was more of an unknown. Um, and I think that's probably how JK Simmons ended up in this conversation. Um, Cause it's, I don't think it's, it's a really grounded role in the film, but I don't know if it's one of the
0: standouts of this year.
2: Yeah.
1: But all respect to JK Simmons. I love you. If you're listening.
0: <laughs> I, I hope he's listening. Um, yes. Our next one. Sort he's of, not anymore. <laughs> no, no, not after this. He just uh, smashed his, uh, his phone because of Yeah. You. Really?
1: Um, yeah, I just got J. Jonah Jameson. I'm a public menace.
0: <laughs> he sort of, yeah, he sort of plays an angry guy in uh, being the Ricardos too. Not necessarily angry, just more of a dry, sarcastic asshole, which I thought was very. He he, he does very well.
1: Oh yeah, that's his jam. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, so our next category, we're sort of uh, veering off off the path. We have makeup and hair styling. Um, oh, which is always an inter- in, always an interesting one because uh, with like visual effects, we always get some that are just one-offs that are sort of, you know, we, we get that mm-hmm. one thing where people say, you know, uh, Suicide Squad has as many Oscars as Pulp Fiction. It's like, yeah, because they win <laughs> well. one, of, one of these types of, of awards. But Sorry, um...
1: can you pause the recording? I need to go throw up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, no. Uh, we have uh, Coming to America we have Cruella which I did not see we have Dune Mm. the eyes of Tammy Faye and House of Gucci so the only one I didn't see in this one is Cruella um which Mm. is the one that probably a lot of my listeners have seen besides Dune (laughs) um but this one's always for me it's always a toss-up because I I mean obviously I can see makeup and hairstyling but I'm like I'm certainly not an expert in this uh I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this one if, if you can
1: predict this award, congratulations.
0: I have no idea.
1: Um, and, and really, that's, that's how it's played out this year. There isn't a makeup and hairstyling guild. Um, they, they break things down into further categories. Of those categories, Coming to America won three guild awards, where Cruella won the hairstyling award from the guild. Um, and then Isa Tammy Fay has won the BAFTA and the Critics' Choice. Um, but then you, I, you know, Dune. I think about Dune in relation to those other films and, like, the effects they did on uh, Stellan Skarsgård. It's amazing. That whole character is built in the makeup. And, obviously, you have Jared Leto's insane transformation in House of Gucci. Um, so, I, wow. I You know, there's I could see any of these films getting this award. Um, I think if House of Gucci would have had a better shot if Jared Leto had gotten that Best Supporting Actor nomination, which he did not. Um, if I had to guess, I'm gonna say Eyes of Tammy Faye. Like I said, it won the BAFTA and the Critics' Choice, and I think so much of, you know, it's it's one of the few films where you really look at the name of you. It's makeup and hairstyling, and you see Tammy Faye, and it's like, oh yeah, first thing you think of with Tammy Faye is and hair
0: and makeup. Yep,
1: it's hair and makeup. So <laughs> I, I think there is gonna be a bit of that with there, and I think it's such a, and I think Jessica Chastain is a front runner in the Best Actress category, which we'll get to later. So I think those two things do become tied. So I would not be surprised to see Eyes of Tammy Faye win it. But um, like I said, the, uh, the, the Guild Awards have been spread around for this fil- these films and uh, even the films that haven't won awards have amazing makeup effects. So I, I like I said, if you can predict this one, congratulations, <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know.
0: <laughs> this, this might be one of your five you don't make this year.
1: It's very much. Um, like I said, I think I am my ballot. I'm going to check eyes of Tammy Faye, but this is definitely one where it's 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 a toss up. There's no I, I don't have a good indicator to predict this because it's all spread out.
0: I really, really enjoyed eyes of Tammy Faye. I, I wasn't sure what to expect, right. and I thought it was uh, it was a blast. That's another one where I recommend to like my boss who would never mm. really enjoy some of he, he would never watch drive my car. He would, you know. <laughs> that would drive him nuts but i'm like uh right you know, check out uh eyes of tammy faye he, and of course he's older and he's like oh i remember you know tammy faye being on tv and you know he goes home and watches it and he's like oh that was awesome you know so maybe he'll yeah. he'll, he'll watch and root for this one now um
1: yeah i mean i was in grade school when that whole thing was playing out and i remember it and so it, this was fascinating to kind of like oh that's what was happening
0: ah yeah <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, In sort of the same vein, our next category is costume design. Another one I Mm -hmm. will not be able to predict. We have Cruella. Is it um, Cyrano? Cyrano. Cyrano. We have Dune. But Cyrano de Bergerac. Okay. Dune, uh, Nightmare Alley, and West Side Story. What do you think?
1: Uh, Well, again, I'm looking towards the previous award shows and the the guilds. Um, Interesting, the... Uh, Caution Design and Guild. Everything has a guild in L.A. Um, Coming to America won for Contemporary Film. Uh, they they divide their categories up by period, fantasy, and contemporary. Okay. So a non-nominee here, Coming to America, won Contemporary. Dune won their Fantasy Award, and Cruella won the Period Award. Uh, Cruella also won the BAFTA and the Critics' Choice Award. And I think it has the edge here. It is the one – all these films are obviously amazing uh, with their Caution Design um, – they're all they're period films. They're fantasy films. They all did an amazing job. The costumes are helping tell the story in each one of these. But Cruella is the one where it's about fashion. It's about two fashion designers dueling. Um, and that's an important part of the story. So I think I would give this to Cruella. I think that has the, the, the biggest edge. And certainly when you add it, factor in the BAFTA and the Critics' Choice Award, it has the most award recognition in, in the group.
0: Excellent. I, uh, like I said, all the ones I saw in this category, I really thought fantastic. Uh, you know, Mm -hmm. Nightmare Alley was really cool, but nothing really over the top. Um, but maybe that sort of, uh, you know, you don't have to go over the top. You you did what you needed. So, uh, you know, again, West Side Story was very good. You know, it was locked in that time period perfectly. So, yeah. mm -hmm. Well, and
1: sometimes, you know, not noticing the costumes in a certain way means that it really was effective because you were into the film and into the characters and it blended in seamlessly. So I, and in many ways, I think that's a credit to the uh, costume designers that it is such a, it, it didn't quite stand out in a way, but we do tend to go with what's showy and I think Corella is
0: very showy. <laughs> well, it's sort of surprising to me that, uh, coming to America didn't get over here either because the costuming and that was beautiful too. I didn't love the movie, but, uh, yeah, You know, just the, the costuming alone of that culture is awesome.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's a, um, ah, damn it, I'm blanking on her name, but she she just won the Oscar for Black Panther. Okay. And she is, I, I believe she is one of the, and it's killing me that I can't remember her name. I'm looking it up right now. Um, she also, I think, is the first costume designer to have a star on the Walk of Fame.
2: Oh, cool. Um,
1: so she is one of the, uh, Ruthie Carter. All say. right. Sorry. Sorry to Ruth Carter fans, and there should be Ruth Carter fans because she is amazing. Um, she is definitely one of the premier costume designers in uh, Hollywood. I think really coming to America here was just hurt because Paramount sold it to Amazon, and it did not premiere in theaters. And it was back in March of mm-hmm. it was over a year ago uh, that it came out. So I think so I think it did kind of lose some momentum just in that vein of. It's a streaming movie. It wasn't quite as good as the original. It, you know, I think, I think there was some.
0: Being a sequel and in sometimes general, the, yeah.
1: Yeah, sometimes I think the quality of the movie does, in in these categories, does impact it. And I think it was, that's probably just what made Coming to America harder to break through.
0: All right, so our next one is a really big one. And again, I'm following last year's and I was, I don't remember them going in this order, but apparently they did. <laughs> So we're going straight from costume design to directing, which is a huge wow. huge award. I remember it was early. Yeah. I think they try to mix it up to uh keep people engaged because if you if you do some of the smaller awards rides beginning, people might lose interest and just I'll tune in later for mm-hmm. the big awards. So uh you know, kick it off with some big ones, keep some big ones in the middle and then cap it off with some big ones. But uh totally. we have Kenneth Branagh again for Belfast. Um we've had all these in previous categories we have um Ryuz Kamaguchi for Drive My Car. We have Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza, uh, Jane Campion for Power of the Dog, and Steven Spielberg for West Side Story. Oh, man, big names in this one.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is huge. I think if, if it hadn't been uh, for Drive My Car, uh, there was a talk that this would have been one of the few years. If it had been somebody like Denny Leneuve or a couple other people, it would have been the first year where they were all returning nominees. Um, these are all like headline, top tier Uh, Hollywood directors except for the Japanese entry and he's obviously fantastic Um, that said like I've already kind of talked about Paul Thomas Anderson and Kenneth Branagh in the screenplay category Paul Thomas Anderson with 11 nominations across different categories Kenneth Branagh with his 8 you know so those are definitely people who are due and have a possibility I think Drive My Car here is the award is being nominated in this category and everybody knows that Drive My Car is going to win international feature so I think that it's an easy one to say is not going to win here. And Spielberg has won his Oscars.
0: Yeah, um, he, he, has, think, he has he doesn't even have room on his mantle, so. Yeah, I mean, I, and I absolutely, uh,
1: I was incredibly skeptical of West Side Story when he announced he was going to make it all the way up until the night I saw it. And then Steven Spielberg, man, won yep. me over, did a great <laughs> job. I, I, could, I was like, I don't even know how I justify you doing this. And then I saw it and I was like, Oh, that's how you justify you Mm -hmm. doing it. I should not doubt Steven Spielberg. Um, But uh, this category belongs to Jane's Campion. Uh, She has won the Directors Guild, the BAFTA, the Critics' Choice Award, the Golden Globe. She has won every indicator leading up to this that she is going to win the Oscar. The only thing that could hurt her, the only thing that's going to get in her way is at the Critics' Choice Award, two days – this was a week ago today. Uh, the Sunday before the Oscars, this is two weeks before the Oscars happened, but it was also the Sunday before Oscar voting started. Um, the, the last impression they uh, the Oscar voters had of Jane Campion was she was accepting a Critics Choice Award and made kind of a weird, semi disparaging comment about how she has to compete with male directors in her categories, whereas Serena and Venus Williams do not as tennis players. Yeah, I saw that. Oof, big And it was, it was a big oof. It was a big whiff. She immediately the next day issued an apology. She was seen hanging out with Venus and Serena in, um, in the after party at the Critics' Choice Awards. They seem to have quickly forgiven her and it seems to be have quickly forgotten but it was just the one thing that happens it's like when uh stallone kind of gave a rambling weird uh acceptance speech at the golden globes for creed and i think it cost him the oscar because people were like i don't want another weird stallone speech (laughs) um and i i I do think that it might play in a factor here especially because we're in such a quick culture to judge such things at this point um i don't I think actually because of the way it was handled and because of the nature of her apology, I think she'll be fine. I don't think it's gonna. I think it's gonna be a non-factor. But if she does not win after getting all those indicators, then it was a factor. Yeah, I say so we know why people's. What it? say?
0: you said yeah. We'll know why.
1: We'll know why. Yeah, that will be it. So, I think otherwise, Jane Campion is the safest one to mark in your Oscar bet. There's really very little to. Uh, indicate that she's not going to win other than that one little gaffe.
0: Well, that's our first big one off the list. Um, Our -hmm. next one is one that I think in the last few years they sort of combined two, so we just have general sound. Um, Yes. We have Belfast, Dune, No Time to Die, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. And the only one I haven't seen on this list, uh, not surprising to my listeners, is No Time to Die because I've only seen one Bond film. Uh, What? I know. I, the only one I've seen, and it was for this podcast, uh, a couple months back, I watched uh, Goldfinger. I think, and uh, well, I mean, that was my I, first Bond okay. film. I, I know mean,
1: that's that, that is the first Bond film you should see. It's the third one made, but it's the most Bond of the early three. But, right, and that's I mean, why I'm a, my, I'm a Bond film expert. So right, my my
0: guest, just... I let my guest pick. You know, uh, I was like, any Bond film, I I I do not care what you choose, and he said the sort of same thing. This is the most Bondy Bond film. You gotta watch this one yeah. we watched it. i loved it so i look forward maybe i'll have you back on and we'll check off the uh second favorite one but um yeah I, I there i haven't seen this one i haven't i've never seen a daniel craig one i've never seen uh have any of them just seen one so uh i know I, i'm
1: i'm i mean i'm about to kill like all four uh, four hours of another podcast right now talking to you about <laughs> hyping up on films but i uh, i'm just gonna i'm just gonna hold it all in because we can't I, we don't have time for that. <laughs> Uh, I mean, this is a, you know, I feel bad for the sound category, you know, two, a couple of years ago, they allowed themselves to go from two categories to one category, and now the Oscars have taken them off the live broadcast too. Like they just, uh, how, how much, how, how, how much concession has the sound department dealt with for the Academy Awards? They've really, of all the branches of the Academy, they've, they've borne the most, uh, the, the, the biggest burden of, of trying to keep the ratings up. I, I really feel for them. Um, it, this is a hard category. To predict, there are of course a lot of um, guild. There are actually two sound guilds, um, and they tend to divide their their categories up more diversely. Obviously, there is they they think like Dune won uh, best effects editing and foley. Uh, West Side Story won the best sound editing of how the sounds are cut together. Um, I think those two end up being the front runners because of that. Uh, Dune also won the BAFTA. And then if, for anybody who saw Dune in the theater, especially in IMAX theater, and felt that movie, and really, if you've done any research on how they did the sound design for Dune and what they did to make those sounds, it has, I think, the most diverse and original soundtrack of all, the, of all these nominees. Um, I think Dune is a lock for the sound category here.
0: Excellent. So we'll, we'll mark our bouts, Dune, and if uh, it doesn't win, blame Brian
1: but bl- bl- blame me and I- i'll just be over <laughs> here holding in a james bond rant
0: <laughs> okay uh the next one we're getting into the shorts we have live action short film i think i only okay. saw one of these um we have now, if you've
1: seen one you're ahead of me i have not seen any of
0: them yeah so a la Kachu, take and run we have the dress the long goodbye on my mind and please hold i think the only one i saw was the long goodbye um I was actually just because of time constraints. I looked through the lists of all the shorts to see which ones were the shortest, um, and mm-hmm. Riz Ahmed was in this one. And I was like, "Oh, I gotta check that out." Uh, really good, but I, like I said, I I can't compare it to the other, so I really have no base on this one.
1: Um. Yeah. I I only know I did a little research in this last night just so I could s- talk semi intelligently about films I haven't seen. Um. Obviously, the long goodbye with Riz Ahmed is uh, an interesting one. I think he's had an incredible year. Uh, a couple years here, he was nominated for Best Actor last year for the Sound of Metal, and he's an executive producer on Flea, the film we were talking about earlier that's nominated for International Feature, Documentary, and Animated Feature. So, I mean, I think he is, and he is one of the two uh, on the short film category. You can only have two nominees, and he is one of the two nominees on the long goodbye. So, he could win an Oscar here for Best Short Film. Um, and I think he is deserving of, a, of, of being an Oscar winner. Um, so the Academy could go that way to honor him uh, because he's been kind of such, you know, contributing so much to the film industry in the past few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one that's interesting is um, On My Mind. It's from a filmmaker named, uh, and I, this is where I get to butcher a name, Kim uh, Magnusum, I think is his last something like that, how you pronounce his last name. But he has had six nominations and two wins in this category.
0: Oh, so uh, he's
1: a vet. And he is a vet. He is a very frequent person. Uh, but I, The predictors, and I, I just went through IndieWire and Golden Derby and a couple of the sites that like to predict the winners, they seem to go with a film called Please Hold, which is the only U.S. production. And it's about a wrongful arrest, but kind of done in a humorous way. And if you look back at last year, I think the winner was uh, Two Distinct Strangers, I believe was the name. Mm -hmm. And that was a very similar kind of thing where it was a very serious subject, but there was kind of done in a fun, humorous, there was some humor in there, even though it was very, it also got very tense. And that seems to be where people are going on the indicator range here. And I should also say, this is one of those, this category and the animated short and the documentary short, Are always going to be the ones where predictors get tripped up, and a lot of times I kind of see what people have predicted as the winner, and then I watch the films, and then I fall in love with something, and then I vote for that thing. How could they not vote for that? And I ignore the predictors, and then I'm wrong. (laughs) So this is it's it's these are some of the hardest categories. But from what I've read, Please Hold seems to be the early favorite. Having said that, I haven't seen any of them. So
0: I think Riz also did the um, dubbing on. Uh, flea for the the lead character for the English dub that makes sense you you can watch it he's one of the producers yeah you can watch it in uh you know subbed or dubbed Uh, I think smart move of them to make Mm. it more accessible for people um and I saw that Riz did the uh dubbing of the lead and and there was a little bit of controversy there um because he's not the uh you know people are saying well he's not the same uh, race as the the lead right. who's telling the story and you should only watch it the dubbed version because he's telling his story and i don't know um, hmm. it, he's a producer i'm I, sure he talked to the people and, and oh, got it cool with them you know what i mean like he, he is done tastefully i'm sure with permission yeah. so uh, it
1: it seems like it's done with permission he's one of the producers he's one of the voices trying to get the film out there i i watched it subtitled actually uh because i just prefer to watch things in their original language i'm snobby like that but um <laughs> uh i you know i i don't know i that sometimes i feel like people are reaching for a controversy oh yeah um i i i think um in, in the vast history of uh you know do you have uh if if it's an american film going to italy and you have an italian actor dubbing an american character into italy i mean <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i don't know i i i I, I feel like we may be overreaching on that one, but that's just me, and uh, I could get canceled on Twitter for saying what I just
0: said. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't think any of my listeners are going to go after you. You're okay.
1: Fair enough. I'll, I'll, I'll hold you to that.
0: It's sort of funny that, like, the short filmmaker and the guy who runs a short film festival, and we're the ones that we the short films, which are the <laughs> easiest to watch because they're short, but I Absolutely. mean, they're the least accessible. Incredible.
1: Well, yeah, I think that's it. As the reason that I didn't get to the live action short and the animated shorts are the, the blocks are in theaters right now. And I just I, – I, I haven't been able to get to a theater because I've, I've actually been working on E!'s Live from the Red Carpet coverage for the Oscars. So I, I finished that at home at 7, and it's easy to just go to my living room and watch some movies. Mm-hmm. It's hard to go to the theater to see the shorts. And the short films become accessible digitally, I believe, on Tuesday so um it literally was just a matter of access in this case uh not a matter of enthusiasm
0: yeah yeah i felt bad because um i told you that we had just upgraded to DCP at the Capitol, but we were still waiting Very on that. Yeah, and then we were waiting on them to like find the the people who came installed everything. There are the few final things they need to do before we start booking, and we were like a few days too late to book the the shorts. Uh, uh. But I'm like, you know what? That just means next year we get to do it, and I'll be ahead of the you know ahead of the game and know next year to get them booked, and and I think uh, I'll be excited okay. to finally be playing those at the Capitol.
1: It's fantastic. I know the people who put that together because I've, they've distributed my, my films for afar and on the And, uh, it's a great team and I'm, that's I'm, I'm, exciting. You guys are going to get to see those in a theater.
0: Yeah. I'm stoked to uh, start doing that. The next one is animated short film. We have mm-hmm. affairs of the art, um, bestia box ballet, Ro- Robin, Robin, and the windshield wiper. I saw affairs of the art. That was the only one. And, uh, Man. That's on YouTube, I think. Yeah, that's why I, I looked it up, and it popped right up on YouTube, and that one was wild. I was like, do not show this okay. to your kids. Do not. It has <laughs> a lot. Of, it's almost like um, a highbrow Ren and Stempy, man. Like, Nice. Yeah, some really grotesque uh, stuff in it, but it's it's also an important story, and uh, it was cool. But I, again, don't have anything to compare it to, so um, I'm sure you read up on it, and, and you might have an idea of, of the favorite
1: yeah i uh i i did look into this um uh by the way if if you for those who want to watch some of these and maybe don't want to buy the packet the short film package that will come out tuesday or go to the theater uh affairs of the art are is available on youtube and robin robin is available on netflix um and from what i've seen variety and IndieWire seem to think robin robin is the favorite um it is a 40 minute short, which I was kind of surprised about, but it is the most readily available on Netflix and in the highest quality. It's like 4K with Adobe Atmos and Vision, so you can see it in very good quality at home. Um, I understand that the second place is the windshield wiper. Uh, that seems to be the, 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 the those two, Red, uh, Robin Robin and the windshield wiper seem to be the two top picks. But again, I haven't seen them and I didn't get a chance to do as much research on the filmmakers here. So um, that's all I got, unfortunately. This is the, my least research category, and um,
0: well, hey, it's, looking it's
1: forward to crossing off
0: short film categories. Sh- short talk about it. So we'll move on to uh, okay. our next, which is animated feature film, and this is nice. always to me the one that, like, when I talk to people, they've seen, they're surprised I haven't seen them because a lot of my friends have kids and they've seen all these twelve times. Um, so mm-hmm. we have Encanto, we have Flea, Luca. The Mitchells vs. Machines, and Raya and the Last Dragon. I only saw Flea and uh, Luca. And uh, I know I, people are going to go, you haven't seen Encanto. I've heard people singing the song for the last several months, uh, the Bruno song. But uh, no, I haven't seen the others. But have you seen all these?
1: I have seen all of these, and we're going to pause the podcast so Tad can watch Mitchells versus the Machines right now.
0: Oh, so... Sorry, uh, just kidding. That's who, is that who that, you're that... voting for?
1: that's what i would vote for i i freaking love that movie um i thought that was a blast i really had a great time it's um produced by uh lord and miller who uh, are the team behind spider-verse um it was a sony film that got sold to netflix during the pandemic um and it came out about a year ago and i think it's really under people's radar i love that movie i don't think it's going to win it's just what i would like to have win um I think what's the, 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 the provide the prevailing wisdom about the Academy Awards, how they award the animated feature is, is that you know screeners are distributed to all the uh, nominee, or all the uh, all the Academy members, and of course Encanto is also on Disney Plus, and whatever animated films the kids their kids watch on a loop becomes the winner yeah (laughs) (laughs) and uh so far you can see that in canto as you say everybody's singing uh we don't talk about bruno it's got lin-manuel miranda's songs on it it's won the BAFTA, the golden globe and last night it won the producers guild award for best animated film um the mitchell versus the machines did sneak out the critics choice award so i think there is a chance for that one and again we've talked about flea already and it's multiple nominations I just think in each of Flea's categories, unfortunately, it's not the marquee title. So I think it's going to fall through the cracks. But uh, I would have to say Encanto is by far the, um, the favorite with a very slim chance that Mitchell versus Machines or Flea could spoil. But I think Encanto definitely with all the Guild Wins is the winner. And it's the one that all the Oscar nominees or all the Academy members, it's the ones their kids have on a loop. And that's the one they've seen the most. So that's what's going to win.
0: Well, I know uh, with Luca, I just saw it was like a a sea creature kid that like dreams about having a moped. And I'm like, oh, that's right up my alley. This is like, uh, you know, Shape of Water with a moped and animated. I'm like, (laughs) this is me, man.
1: I think I think it's a lovely film. Actually, just hearing you re-describe it and the fact that it's in Italy, I would almost recommend watching Luca and then Hand of God as a double feature. Uh, um, that'd be cool. They're two different tones and two different uh, uh, audiences, really, but they are both about growing up in Italy, and I think they, they, they would make a fun uh, one-two punch.
0: Excellent. Well, that brings us to our halfway point. So um, we're going to hear from the Prescribed Film Podcast Network. Take a quick uh, breather, and then we'll be right back. All right, we're back. And the next one, we're continuing with the shorts. We have documentary short subject, and I have not seen a single one of these. And usually these are like my favorites. I love short documentaries because they're usually on um, just these topics that you could never do in a feature. And they're just so interesting. It's like a grab bag. So we have Audible. We have Lead Me Home, The Queen of Basketball, Three Songs for Benzar, and When We Were Bullies. Have you seen any of these?
1: Actually, this was me cramming for our uh, test podcast before this. I watched four of them this morning, right before we started started recording. Nice. Uh, when we When we were bullies is not online yet, so it doesn't. Right now, it's not. I've seen it's not scheduled to come online until the Tuesday after the awards. But I think it's part of the short film package that releases this Tuesday. So I am hoping to check it out beforehand. But um, thankfully, three of these nominees: uh, Audible, Leave Me Home, and three songs for Bazir Biz- are on um, Netflix. And The Queen of Basketball is a New York Times film, and it's available on their YouTube channel. So they're all very easy to access. Um, I also looked at some of the um, predictor sites to see what uh, what they were saying. It seems like the prevailing uh, thought is is that The Queen of Basketball is gonna be the winner. Um, it's directed by uh, Ben Proudfoot, who was a nominee uh, a couple years ago for a short film called A Concerto is a Conversation, which was really great.
2: I love that um, one, yeah. And-
1: yeah, it was really good. I, it's, it's definitely, of the nominees, the four nominees that I saw, it is the smallest in scale, um, but it is just it, very much like tonally with Coda. It would almost make the great, perfect short film to watch before Coda if you're doing like, like they used to do in the theaters, of mm-hmm. uh, watching a short film before a movie. Queen of Basketball would be a great kind of tonal match. It, uh, it's very joyful and uplifting, and, and you just – feel a lot, it's about a female basketball player from the 70s who is of a, the same generation as Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and um, how she just didn't quite get the same opportunities despite being a, a college champion, three-time college national champion and an Olympian. Um, and just kind of how her career dead-ended because after that non-professional level, there was no place for her to go. Um, and she's just, just such a an fun and engaging and positive human um i think my only thing was i was actually think listening to your talk it seemed like there was a lot more her story than what they d- dug into here and i I'm, i th- this is actually one of those ones i watched and i was like somebody's going to turn this into a feature and they're going to cast an unknown actress and that unknown actress is going to become a star <laughs> <laughs> um and it's going to start with this film and I, I i think just because it is such a joyful positive film it'll probably come out that way i think you know documentaries are always interesting because you're looking to pick a topic and audible is about a uh hearing impaired football high school football team and uh it's a really engaging story leave me home is about the homeless crisis going on in seattle los angeles and san francisco three songs for bazir is about a young man trying to become uh transition into adulthood in afghanistan um and i'm assuming we were bullies is about bullies. I haven't seen it. <laughs> um, and I think it's just going to be about uh, which topic the Academy wants to tackle. I think Audible is at a disadvantage, unfortunately, because Coda is going to take on the hearing impaired representation, as is Drive My Car to a lesser extent. Um, Three Songs from Mazir. I, I think it was an interesting film, and it's definitely an interesting area of the world and story to look at. I didn't think it quite landed at the end. I think it was missing something um, I'm assuming that's pro- probably because they lost touch with their subject during the withdrawal, but it's not um, covered. Um, so it's, it's, it's a lingering ending, which is also kind of an interesting point because of where they leave him. But it's a, it didn't quite feel like a fulfilled story to me. Um, leave Me Home has a lot of production design, or not a production design, but a lot of production value. Um, they just move the camera. They photograph a lot of interesting things. There's literally a shot of a homeless man dancing kitty corner from where the red, red carpet entrance is to the Academy Awards. Yeah. So it may, uh, it may hit home for a lot of uh, Academy voters. And I do think the scale and the scope of the number of stories they cover in Lead Me Home may give it an edge. But I, from what I've read, Queen of Basketball is a very fun, positive story with, that leaves you feeling good. And I think that might be the way they go.
0: All right, so put, put Queen of Basketball on your ballot for documentary short subject. Our next one is documentary feature. We have Ascension, Attica, Flea, Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, and Riding with Fire. I got to see Flea and Summer of Soul because we played it at the theater, but I have not seen the other three.
1: Mm. Uh, I've seen four of these. Riding with Fire does not drop on digital until Tuesday. So this is the only feature nominee I haven't seen. Um, all amazing films, as always. I think from everything I've seen, Summer of Soul is the favorite in this category. It certainly had the most publicity with Questlove directing. It has the highest profile. It's on Disney+, Plus. it's on Hulu, everybody can find it. It's won the BAFTA, it's won uh, the, uh, the PGA Award last night for Best docu all the momentum seems to be behind that so i think summer of soul is going to be the winner here which is uh i think it's deserving i I do feel a little bad for flea that it's going to get left out
0: yeah they even played summer of soul on abc it hit network television a few uh weeks back so uh has a lot of momentum going for it
1: yeah i mean when you're a a fox searchlight film which in fox or uh 20th i should say just searchlight there's no fox on fox searchlight not anymore but when you're a when you're a searchlight film and you have Disney backing you and Disney sees uh, something that they can use on all their different platforms to get it out there. And it's, it's done in such a kind of engaging way and a fun way, because you have such the power of music behind it. It's a, it's hard to uh, get in the way of the momentum of that.
0: Yeah. It has, uh, it has a more momentum, I think, than some of these like really, really, you know, the bigger ones, even like best picture stuff. Like, I mean, Questlove is on TV Monday through Friday, and he has these people coming out on Fallon, and they every for two weeks straight, every guest was, um, you know, congratulating him. So they're mentioning it every five nights a week. Mm -hmm. You know, it's 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 sort of a big thing. You know, it's huge. So uh, yeah, it's cool. I think it's his first direction, the first time he's directed a movie too, his debut. So.
1: It is. And I think, you know, it is that thing of I do think there's the degree that the Oscars love to cheer for people mm-hmm. and we love to get behind people's stories. And the, and the fact that not only are we seeing Questlove on our TV set, but every one of those guest stars on Hit the talk show mm-hmm. are probably many of them are Academy voters who know him. Right. And interacted with him and are cheering for him. And they're, they're as for all these other films, they're not going to know these filmmakers personally. Um, and I, that does intentional, unintentional, right, not Right that does play a factor you cheer for your friends and i i I think that's gonna factor into this
0: i think so too that was like the only one i was like i'm pretty sure that one's a lock on my my uh ballot so um the next one we have is visual effects we have dune free guy no time to die shang chi and the legend of ten rings and spider-man no way home so we do get spider-man uh, we get mm-hmm. two Marvel movies. We got, uh, of course, Dune and its millionth nomination. Another Bond movie and Free Guy. I uh, Surprisingly, it's so funny, like, if my listeners are, are hearing this, they're like, you didn't see the Bond movie or Free Guy, and those are the only two I saw. But, uh, you know, it's like, <laughs> I feel like those are the ones that all of my friends have seen and I haven't. But um, I saw the others, of course, because I, I feel like at this point I have to see everything Marvel does, or I'm going to, like, get behind, get left behind. But... um, mm. I'm very curious, is is Dune maybe just going to take this one?
2: Dune's
1: just going to take this one. The interesting thing about having two Marvel nominees on this is that Marvel has... I don't think a Marvel film has won an Academy Award for visual effects in Spider-Man 2, and that was not even a Marvel Studios production. Right, Sony. So, yeah. So, I, uh, Mar- uh, Marvel films traditionally, they get a nomination, but they do not get the award. And so I don't think that's a factor. Um, and really... Dune. Dune won the Visual Effects Society's uh, Guild Award. It won the BAFTA. It won the Critics' Choice. Uh, D- Dune is such a well-regarded film, and uh, you know clearly it's it's the only of the visual effects nominees that's nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I and I think deservedly so. It's 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 such an incredible film. It's going to de- when I say deservedly so, I mean deservedly. It's going to win this award because it. It, it, it's, it's got every indicator. I think this is a lock. This is an easy one to say win visual effects.
0: All right. Well, now we're getting back into acting. So, fifth, our next uh, category is actress in a supporting role. We have Jesse okay. Buckley in The Lost Daughter. We have Ariana DeBose in West Side Story. We have Judy Dench in Belfast. Kirsten Dunst in The Power of the Dog. And Anjuan Ellis and King Richard.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an easy one. Ariana DeBose has won the SAG, the BAFTA, the Critics' Choice, and the Golden Globe. She has every momentum, um, and it's a great story because uh, Rita Moreno won the Academy Award for the original West Side Story for this role. So there is a really wonderful Oscar story there in connection. And uh, a, a lot of times, you know, I, I, this is always kind of the Bell of the Ball Award. This mm-hmm. is Marissa Tomei and my cousin Vinny. There's always an up-and-comer getting this award for best supporting actress and i think this is where we crown ariana DeBose as the next up-and-comer so i she's a lock it's an easy pick here
0: all right i i I have one more question before we move on with this one um just as a a, a sort of debate that i i had with um some friends last night and i want to hear your take on it um with west side story and like dune they're at. Ad- I mean West Side Story is an adaptation of a stage play Dune is an adaptation of a book do you consider these remakes or just new adaptations of a source material
1: uh, I don't I think they're new adaptations of the source material when you listen to both Danny DeVito and Steven Spielberg neither used the other the uh, original the other previous film as a source um, they, they both went back to the original text, Spielberg in his case, back to the original Broadway play and Denny went back to the, um, to the original novel. Um, so I, I think these are both you know, original films that are based on their source material and not on the... And I think that's kind of the appeal and why they work is they're not really interested in the other version of the film. I think if Spielberg had just gone in and remade West Side Story. Um, it would have failed, and that's what I was worried he was going to do. But he really had no interest in that. the The fact that he took uh, "I Want to Be an American" and brought it off the roof and put it into the streets mm-hmm. and put it in the daylight versus the night, and just did had no interest in covering what Robert Wise did in that original sequence. And because that original sequence is amazing, I've seen it in the cinema; it's fantastic. Me too. Um, and and Spielberg uh did uh something of equal quality if not greater but but did it in such a different way that made it feel vital and relevant and so i um you know i I think these are both original films in that regard the only thing i think is funny about dune is that the the uh director of not the not david lynch but the director of the sci-fi channel miniseries is one of the credited i think executive producers on dune Hmm. And as as an expert on the novel, um, and did do some advising about the adaptation. So uh, I think, even though I there's no there's zero visual connection to that miniseries in this version of Dune, um, it probably draws more from the miniseries than it does from David Lynch's film.
0: Yeah, well, you just helped me win my debate, so um, I won't shout out the people <laughs> specifically, but um, I'll make sure to uh, at ninety minutes. Brian says I was right and I'll I'll make sure to send it to them. they'll be listening anyways, hey, the people that I debated with their listeners. So uh I, I was yeah. I I was saying their new adaptations, not remakes and they're saying, Well, it's you're remaking I'm like It's a whole different podcast. We'll move on to. uh... It's a
1: it's a wonderful film nerdy thing that you do when you're having beer. I've been in those conversations. (laughs) Yes, I I will. If I if I if I get to Snake Alley this year, I will expect to feel their glares for me when I get there. (laughs) Oh
0: no no, we'll I'll drag you in and have you uh, have my back in more of these. But the, our, <laughs> our, our next one is uh, production design, uh, another right. uh, familiar batch of films that we're going to be saying a million times over the next uh, half mm-hmm. hour. We have Dune, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, The Tragedy of Macbeth and West Side Story. Uh, a great batch of films. But I have I mean, is Dune it up for production design, too, because it's just so gorgeous. I don't know.
1: I mean, I think Dune is is the winner here, and I think this is going to be the trend of Dune winning a lot of the technical categories like visual effects and sound and now production design. It's won the Art Directors Guild Award. It won the BAFTA. It won the Critics' Choice. Um, Nightmare Alley did win a Contemporary Award from the uh, or Best Contemporary Design Award from the Art Directors Guild, so it is a factor. But I think uh, Dune is clearly, they invented an entire new world. <laughs> yeah. And I think that is uh, is the deciding factor. I, I should say, though, that of the Art Directors Guild, um, I looked this up, 10 out of the last 18 uh, years, the Art Directors Guild successfully predicted the Oscars, but it hasn't successfully predicted the Oscars since Jungle Book in 2017. So the Art Directors Guild is a, of late, has not, predicted this award but right now it looks like dune will reset that trend and it will restart it and most of the predicting sites i've looked at have predicted Dune. and
0: it's sort of weird because i i loved nightmare alley i love del toro mm-hmm. uh had a fantastic cast is it gorgeous it's really cool i mean it's it's horror adjacent it's not a horror movie but mm-hmm. it's horror adjacent but i'm just like I'm, I'm did he get sort of put in here because um the shape of water you know i felt like or because of his cast. It just doesn't feel like this was an Oscar movie to me.
1: I, you know, I, I, I do think this is a case of, uh, Guillermo del Toro has Oscar cred. So he's already in that conversation and they very smartly brought out the film in December during award season. So Mm. it, it presented as an award film. (laughs) You know, you have an Oscar nominated, your Oscar winning director, you have, a film coming out in December. It feels like it should be part of this conversation. So it became part of this conversation. I actually, um, true confession. I like nightmare alley more than shape of water. Um, <laughs> so I'm, ha- I'm quite happy to have it in this category. I think it's, or all the categories it's in, I think it's a wonderful film. Uh, I really enjoyed it.
0: Maybe it's just like, um, me being so used to like horror or horror adjacent films, not being considered where I'm like, I like this too much. It can't possibly be uh, (laughs) deserving of all these nominations, but it's like, I went out and saw it and I'm telling all my friends that are big horror buffs. And again, this is not a horror movie, but I'm like, you guys, you know, Del Toro got, he, he was, you know, raised, he's like, he's our guy, you know, he's, he's gone up and yeah. st- him and Peter Jackson, both, you know, they sort of started in, in no budget and did some horror and, and weird stuff. And then, you know, got to the top and I'm like, you guys got to go support it. And like, nobody saw it. Mm-hmm. And then it hit HBO max, like a, a month after it hit theaters. I'm like, this is a theater movie guys. This is gorgeous. It doesn't surprise me production design, cinematography, that stuff. Uh, Cause it, it is mm-hmm. gorgeous. But, um, yeah, I was sort of surprised for the best picture and, and we'll get to that later, but um, maybe it's just like, yeah, the, the horror nerd in me. That's like, you know, it <laughs> doesn't feel like we're, we're ever deserving of it, but we should be, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this film is definitely deserving. I think box office wise, it just, it was, it it was, an, it definitely helped it in the awards camp, which I think they were looking at an old school release model where you release something in December and it has a long time to play out in theaters which the past couple of years have obviously not been quite the option. And this Nightmare Alley, unfortunately just kind of got caught in the wake of Spider-Man and this, it, it a very similar fate happened to this that box office wise, it happened to matrix where yeah. it was just like all the fanboys were seeing Spider-Man. I was one of them.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and, <laughs> Me too.
1: Um, yeah. And, uh, and Nightmare Alley kind of got lost. Like I saw Nightmare Alley eight days ago uh, in my home theater. Uh, and I actually said I was going to watch it. i and, and like, Eight people came over and watched it with me because they're, oh, I've been wa- dying to see it. I just haven't had a chance. And everybody came over and watched it. and We all loved it. But uh, it just was one of those ones that it came out in that peak Christmas period where we only all had time to maybe see one or two movies. And Omicron was coming and we weren't feeling too comfortable about going to the movies. So we said, well, we have to see Spider-Man um and it kind of got lost unfortunately but it's a great film to go back and revisit i think uh, i don't think it's really going to win any of its awards categories but i think it is it's definitely something that everybody should check out
0: yeah i sort of regret not going to see the black and white version in theaters too but i don't think i could uh yeah. con- convince nikki to go out i think it was it was another long one it was like <laughs> two and a half i'm like hey want to go see the same long movie in black and white uh, it, <laughs> it, it's a hard sell i don't i don't blame her yeah, that's I can I can see that I can I can see that conversation playing out. <laughs> <laughs> so our next one, um, sort of related to what we were just talking about, is cinematography. So we have um, yeah. we have Dune with uh, Greg Fraser. We have Nightmare Alley with Dan Lawson. The Power of the Dog with Ari Wagner. Tragedy of Macbeth with Bruno Del Bono. And then West Side Story, um, Janusz Kaminski. Janus Janusz Kaminski. Yep. Uh, another great. A uh, group of films. I is yeah. I don't know. I, I'll let you uh, just sort of say because I have a feeling you know who's uh who's a favorite here.
1: I think it's it's it's, it's a toss up between two.
0: Okay.
1: Um, it's a toss up between Power, of Dog, and Dune. And um, Dune is Greg Frazier, who is really one of has in the past few years has become the premier cinematographer in Hollywood. He did Rogue One. He is out in cinemas right now with the Batman um which is you know about the discussion about the batman as a whole their podcast but i mean it is a gorgeous movie no yes. matter what you think of the film and uh and by the way i liked it i'm not me too it. um but um it is uh, he, greg frazier is just a darling he is everybody loves his work it's really stand out this, this is his second nomination he won the bafta for dune obviously dune is an insane technical achievement um, I think there's a very good chance that Dune wins Best Cinematography. Um, I think Power of the Dog could be the underdog here. It did win the Critics' Choice Award. And if she wins, Allie Wagner will be the first woman ever to win an Academy Award for Cinematography. Um, and I think that does carry some weight. That would be quite a landmark uh, in the Academy's history. And it's certainly, uh, it's a long overdue, achievement that needs to happen um I Dune may just the scale of Dune may overshadow it in this case but um I think Greg Frazier is probably the favorite uh with uh Ari Wagner as a, a, cha- a good chance to spoil
0: and obviously all of these films are gorgeous that's why they're nominated for best cinematography but I think um the tragedy of Macbeth we haven't really talked much about and that one is so Ooh. uniquely gorgeous like I mean, it's, it's it's fantastic. Again, comparing apples to oranges, where it's like it's it's like a combination where it looks like a set, but also a world. It's it's really mm-hmm. uh, in its own category. I mean, it's it's strange.
1: It is it is such a wonderful callback to Cabinet of Doctor Caligari yes. and the old German expressionism films from the silent era. The stuff that Fritz Lang used to do in the twenties. Um, it's it's a it's a gorgeous film, and it's so. The fits um, adapting a Shakespeare play. Um, it's it's lovely, and I think it, it it really owns everything. I think it's just one of those ones uh, because it is in that almost silent film era uh, scope of cinematography and design. Um, it doesn't quite, ha- and it is even framed, you know, in, in the an Academy ratio of one three three, and not a big two three five or one eight five aspect ratio movie. To get really film nerdy and talk about aspect ratios, that's why I have you here um, for. <laughs> <laughs> um i i think it's i I think people tend to again you go it's like what I was saying for caution design they go for showy and you get those wonderful vistas and power of the dog um uh and you get those an amazing huge scale battles and things in dune. I think those are much more showy and and again you know I do think the Academy does look at the history of the body of work of filmmakers and Greg Frazier's body of work, especially in the last like six years, just second to none. I think, I do think the one thing that should be said here is that the cinematography awards, the uh, American society of cinematographer has their guild awards tonight. So we have not seen who the cinematographers have anointed on their own. And I believe Academy voting is still open until Monday or Tuesday. So these awards, the WGAs and the, cinematog- the uh, Writers Guild Awards and the cinematography awards that are happening tonight will have an impact because they do look, voters do look to the guilds to recognize their own. So um, if you're listening to this probably after the cinematography awards have happened, do Google that, see who won the um, cinematography award. That'll give you a very good indicator of which way this battle is going to go. But I'm guessing it's going to be either Dune or Power of Dog.
0: All right, you heard him. You got to watch uh, the other awards before you watch these awards to make sure that you have the Are... right awards picked on your ballot.
2: Yeah, at least Google it. Don't, Google man, it. I don't, yeah.
0: I don't know of a way to watch it. I was it's <laughs> probably not televised if, uh, you know, but uh, yes. you, you, there's a way the to. Cinematographers
1: will not you know. be televised.
0: <laughs> How ironic. But um, we have uh, film <laughs> editing is our next category. Um, we have Don't Look oh. Up, Dune king richard the power of the dog and um his first time we mentioned it i believe tonight is tick tick boom
1: yeah love tick tick boom i actually got to see that in the theater didn't have to to watch it on on netflix i was stuck Um, watching on
0: netflix but i i was pleasantly surprised by it just because i'm not huge into musicals but um no i i thought it was actually i told nikki at the time i watched it i'm like you should have really watched it with me it's pretty awesome
1: It's fantastic and I just a testament, uh, not to get a jump to the best actor category, but just a testament to how fucking charismatic Andrew Garfield is.
0: (laughs) I thought he was even uh, underrated in the eyes of Tammy Faye. People aren't talking about him because uh, Jessica Chastain, but um, I really liked him too. I will have some
1: thoughts to share on that in the uh,
0: best actor category.
1: Um, But uh, in terms of editing, uh, the task at hand, uh, Tick, Tick, Boom did win... uh, in this case the guild is the American Society or it's ACE is the uh, I'm forgetting what the C stands for right now but it's the ACE is the uh, editors guild and they handed out awards to um Tick Tick Boom uh for uh musical and their drama award went to King Richard which was a really huge upset um and then the other award shows are no help in this category because the Critics' Choice awarded West Side Story, which is not nominated for Oscar, and the BAFTAs is awarded, uh, very British of them, No Time to Die. <laughs> um, so uh, there's not a lot of help here, a clear indicator. The predicting sites, Golden Derby, IndieWire, and I tend to agree with them, say Dune is going to win this award. And I think this will complete Dune's sweep of the technical categories. Um, so I, I, I think Dune is the favorite, but there is definitely a shot that King Richard and Tick, Tick, Boom could upset. And me, personally, one of my first jobs in Hollywood for four months was working at a uh, post facility. This is 20 more than 20 years ago uh, called Lost Planet editorial. And that was owned by Hank Corwin, who is the editor of Don't Look Up. Oh. So I would, love to, I would love to see Hank win this award. He is an amazing editor. He uh, was Oliver Stone's guy. He did uh, Natural Born Killers. He's just one of the most, industry's most consistent
2: uh,
1: and fantastic editors. And uh, I would love to see him get this award. I think he's won before. Um, and Don't Look Up doesn't seem to have the momentum in town, but uh, I would love to see that. But I'm guessing Dune's going to be the winner.
0: All right, another one for Dune. Uh, speaking of original score, we have Don't Look Up again dune Encanto, parallel mothers and the power of the dog so we have uh i'll go through the names we have nicholas bretel for don't look up hans zimmer of course for dune um jermaine franco for Encanto, alberto inglesias for parallel mothers and johnny greenwood for power of the dog uh does does hans get another one with dune
1: yeah, well, I mean, this is interesting. Hans has twelve nominations in his lifetime. The last time he actually won, though, was for the the original cartoon of The Lion King, not yep. the live action remake, but yeah. the the actual animated nineteen ninety four original. Um, that was the last time he won an Academy Award. But this year, he has won the BAFTA, the Critics' Choice, and the Golden Globe for Dune. He, um, I mean, he invented new instruments for this movie. He made a bagpipe work for in the body of the <laughs> score of this movie. I, I love the score for Dune. I, I, I think every predictor I have seen is that he will win the uh, Academy Award for Dune. And I think, you know, there, there is a sense sometimes that uh, Hans Zimmer scores all sound alike, um, that, you know, they, they kind of... Are of a very similar vibe, um, and I think Dune breaks that mold quite a bit. I think this is one. This is going to be one of his signature scores for the rest of his life, and I, I think he deservedly will get the Academy Award for this one.
0: Yeah, I hope he comes back to the U.S. We got to see him in like 2018 or 19 in Chicago, and that mm-hmm. was like the coolest fucking show I've ever seen. I mean, I mean, it was <laughs> nice. just like, yeah, I mean, a full orchestra, a choir. Um, you know, he had like a, a celloist who was like a rock star, and he's up there uh mm. sitting uh, playing every instrument himself too and i'm just like man this is this is like a cool time to be alive where we can go see like john carpenter hans zimmer all these composers do live shows uh danny elfman was supposed to be at coachella last uh, year i think and i'm hoping he's i think he's rebooking shows so uh what a cool time i to just be alive.
1: saw. i saw him I saw Danny Elfman at the Hollywood Bowl, or not the Hollywood Bowl, uh, but in, in Hollywood here this past Halloween, he did The Nightmare Before Christmas in concert.
2: Yeah, had like um, Billie and Eilish
0: and stuff, right?
1: Billie, yeah, Billie Eilish was there for Sally, um, and I think the moment where my skull exploded was were for Lock, Shock, and Barrel. It was Danny Weird Al, and Paul Rubens, And my 80s brain just <laughs> lost its grip on reality during the song. I, like, I just, I, I don't even remember much of what they sang. I just remember staring at it going, that's not possible, the three of them on stage together. Oh my God. Um, yeah, no, the fact that I've, y- y- like you said, you can live in this era where you see these people in concert, the fact that I've, um, I'm a spoiled brat and have lost count of the number of times I've seen John Williams in concert, uh, it's fantastic
0: yeah another one he was supposed to be in chicago this june and we we're all Ooh. we took the time off work and had everything set and then some obligation came about with a movie i don't know what he's up to oh. but uh he canceled out and uh, said, he's
1: probably working on it's probably indiana jones
0: yeah he said he's uh rescheduling but hopefully you know I, I know it's morbid but we don't have there's just we don't have a lot of time left with him so uh, uh, he's I, got Yeah,
1: I was gonna say he's got three dates booked here in Hollywood in September at the Hollywood Bowl for his annual concert. He usually he's old enough now where he doesn't conduct the entire concert anymore, but he at least does the last two or three uh, encores. Um, Come on out to LA, man. Uh, I I know some of my friends are going to go see that one.
0: I'm not even like, I'm, I'm not joking. Like he's on the bucket list. So I will probably talk to you after this and figure like, look at dates and, and talk to Nikki. Cause um, you know, I, I'm just not confident in him rebooking in Chicago. If he had, if he doesn't have a date yet and it just, it, it sort of like worries me. I'm like, you know, I don't want to yeah. be regretting it in a few years. I didn't get to see him uh, because we lost, no, we lost two years. Almost... Yeah. We lost two years and of possibilities of yeah. seeing him and time is not on his side. So
1: no, and uh, no, but he yeah, he's almost ninety, and but I'm yeah hopefully the uh, the concert out here in September happens. I want to hear his new Obi Wan theme live. It's always a blast to see John Williams at the Hollywood Bowl.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, hopefully I'm wrong and he lives another twenty years. I hope he lives to hundred and fifty. But
1: uh, you know. I I hope he's contributing for a long time. and, and how pervasive and uh, epic is john williams is that
0: he's not even nominated this year and yet we spent the most amount of time talking about how great john williams is. <laughs> exactly that, i mean <laughs> he's the man so uh, not surprising at yep. all um so uh, keeping with the music theme we have best original song probably the one category that i think and of course they have to because it's part of the broadcast but it's like man if do we need to keep this one on on the broadcast we have uh <laughs> be alive there's a reason Oh, sorry, the reason why they do, yeah. There's uh, Be Alive from King Richard by Beyonce. Um, we have Dos Oranguitas, uh from Encanto with uh, Manuel Miranda. We have Down to Joy from Belfast by Van Morrison. Uh, No Time to Die by Billie Eilish from No No uh, Surprise, No Time to Die, and uh, obviously, Phineas mm-hmm. uh, is nominated also, and then. Um. Somehow you do from Four Good Days. Diane Warren. I've never heard of that movie. I looked it up, and it was like <laughs> Reba performing it. Is that right? Yeah.
1: It's uh, I, 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 It's actually funny. This is one of the last ones. I, I. I had finished off the documentaries last night, what I could watch, and then I was like, oh, I can squeeze in an hour and forty. I watched Four Good Days last night. Uh, it's uh, Glenn Close uh, is helping her daughter, played by Mila Kunis, overcome uh, addiction okay it's not a bad film it's on hulu it's uh it's it's all right the the thing about that particular song is it's by it was written by diane warren who this is now she is the for anybody with oscar history knows uh there was roger deakins who had like 17 academy award nominations before he finally got one diane warren is now up to 13 nominations without a win um and i don't think she's going to win this year no i think this year i don't think so Uh, I think Encanto, the makers of Encanto made a mistake. A lot of people have been blaming the Academy. This is not the Academy's fault. The makers of Encanto, along with, in cooperation with lin Miranda, decided not to submit We Don't Talk About Bruno to the Oscars for the song category. So the Academy did not have a chance to nominate that song in this category. So it's not that the Academy missed it. They were not given the opportunity. Um, And I think because of that, slip up by Disney. They're going to miss out on an Oscar. And I think, uh, no time to die is the clear favorite. It's got the critics choice. It bizarrely, because of the way the release happened with no time to die, that song was, has been out for two years because it was released. The song was released in the ramp up to the original release date for no time to die, which was canceled because the pandemic started.
2: Right. (laughs)
1: Um, And then it won the, it was out, you know, in the next round for the Grammys. So it won a Grammy last year at this time. For best song for a visual medium even though the film had not come out and then it won the critics choice this year because the film actually came out and now it's finally two years later nominated for an oscar and i think i think billy eilish and phineas are going to win it's a, it's actually a really good bond song um and i think they're uh it's it, this is a good chance for the academy in their mind to let's talk to the young people yeah yeah <laughs> um i do think that factors in i i do think it's deserving i like i like listening to Diane Warren's song versus No Time to Die, I'm going to give that to No Time to Die just listening on the songs, not knowing who wrote what. Um, It's a a great song. So I think No Time to Die is uh, going to walk away with the Oscar.
0: So how did that happen that they didn't submit um, Bruno? We don't talk about Bruno because, like I said, I have never seen Encanto, haven't even seen the trailer, but I've heard every Mm. niece, nephew, (laughs) toddler in a mile radius screaming that song, and the parents, too. It's like... How did you, how did they blow that? Or is it just like they submitted it before that became, I mean, that, the song's charting it's, it's on the billboard charts. Yeah. I,
1: the, the submission was made before it started charting and maybe that would have impacted things. But usually what happens is the studio and the filmmakers, uh, you know, just sit down and talk about it. And usually unless it's a song, a, a film like Encanto where there's multiple songs, there's only one song to submit. Like, There's no other song from No Time to Die or Four Good Days or Belfast or, or uh, King Richard to submit. Those are the songs. Right. And the idea is we're gonna get a great songwriter and a great uh, performer, and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna try to get some recognition for the film by putting the song in the end credits. Um, in this case, you know, for whatever reason, I don't know, the, whatever their behind the scenes conversation was, they decided not to submit We Don't Talk About Bruno. And obviously I think it was a mistake. Um, I, you know, I, I I do think Encanto does have a chance because with just looking at these films, that is the one song that does tell the story of the film. It is involved in the storytelling process of the film. These other songs are credit songs. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Encanto is based on its songs and, and telling their story. So that does give Encanto a chance. So if if No Time to Die were to lose, my guess would be it's either going to be Encanto because of the fact that it is part of the storytelling or somebody just decided to take mercy on Diane Warren and give her an Academy award <laughs> to put it just, out of its
0: misery. Yeah. Just get her, the, her award. But I, I don't yeah. know if, if I don't think that happens. No, I don't think a Reba song is going to be uh, the winner against uh, Billie mm. Eilish. But yeah, you know, it's a, if you
1: know, Diane Warren songs, um, it's a very, and forgive me. Cause it's, it, it, it's, it's hard to talk to somebody who it's say this to, about somebody who is incredibly talented. I would love in my disciplines to have 13 Oscar nominations. She is a, a giant in her field, but this is a very stock Diane Warren song. Yeah, she could probably write <laughs> in her um, sleep now. I, I kind of got that vibe where it's like, I was like, oh, this is good. And then it hit like the, you know, the, 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 the spot at the end where it kind of builds and takes off to the next level. It's like, oh, she did the orchestral next level thing. Okay, <laughs> great. But it's like, you know, I've, I've heard a version of this song before.
0: Right, checks all the um, boxes that she has to do to, to get that nominee. Nomination. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I actually kind
1: of would have preferred something like the U2 song from Sing2, which I didn't see Sing2, but I do, I'm a U2 fan. Um, I would have preferred to see that in there. And I, and there's also was a um, Ariana Grande song from Don't Look Up that a lot of people thought was going to get nominated. And to the point of your point of why is this category still here? Could you imagine if it was Ariana Grande, you 2 Billie Eilish, and uh, Beyonce performing at the Oscars.
2: Yeah, that might <laughs> and, get some viewers. And that,
1: yeah. the, that might get some viewers, and that is why this category is still here, is they want those. It's a chance to get big-name performers on stage performing and away from, and to break up the award, the actual awards and the people talking.
0: As a uh, giant Beach Boys fan, I was sort of bummed that Brian Wilson <laughs> didn't get one for his song on uh, *Long Promised Road*. That documentary that the uh, is like oh, a nice. Rolling Stones uh, Rolling Stone um, writer sort of followed him around for a while, and and it was pretty you know it was a pretty small film. Didn't learn a whole lot, but he wrote yeah. an original and wrote and recorded an original song for that. And I think it was I think it was on the short list, but uh, just personally, I mm. would have liked to see him nominated, but. Um, you know, this this list is huge and I can understand why it didn't get fit in here. But uh, we're down to the yeah. final the final three. So the big ones. So um, we're going right. to ju- we're going to jump into actress in a leading role. We have Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Olivia Coleman mm-hmm. in The Lost Daughter, Penelope Cruz in Parallel Mothers, we have Nicole Kidman in Being the Ricardos and Kristen Stewart in Spencer.
1: Well, I think th-
0: this is an interesting category. You have three former or previous
1: winners in Olivia Coleman, Penelope Cruz, and Nicole Kidman. Uh, you have uh, Jessica Chastain, I think this is her second nomination, and Kristen Stewart, this is her first. Um, I really think because the uh, Olivia Coleman, Penelope Cruz, and Nicole Kidman have won before, they're probably not going to win here um nicole kidman did win the golden globes but we all know the golden globes are a bunch of starfuckers <laughs> so i i think that kind of discounts it and i don't think anybody's really paid attention to the golden globes i've probably given the golden globes more lip service by mentioning their winners in this podcast than anybody else so <laughs>
2: um
1: uh I, I i don't think that is really a factor i think Kristen stewart her award is is being nominated in this category and she's been very public saying whether it's true for her personally or not, her public perception, her public that she's, uh, statements that she's presented to us have been, I don't care.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, and, uh, and then you look at the other indicators aside from the Globes. Uh, the BAFTAs actually awarded a British actress in this category who's not nominated for a film called After Love that I don't think anybody has seen. So that's the BAFTAs are not good for indicating here, but Jessica Chastain did win the SAG Award and she did win the Critics' Choice Award. She's also a producer on that film, and she is. She is that film.
2: Yeah, <laughs> like if, absolutely. If, if that
1: film does not. That film rises and falls with Jessica Chastain, and I. I think that is a lock. She's obviously kind of one of the most well recognized actresses of this generation, and I think it's. I think this is her time. I think this is her film, and I think this is when she gets her award. And I think it's well deserved. She she that movie works because of Jessica Chastain.
0: Yeah, that would be cool to see just because it's I mean, obviously, she plays a real life person, but it has some humor to it where I feel like the others, I mean, being the Ricardos has some, but man, Lost Daughter, Parallel Mothers and Spencer are just so heavy and downers man like they're brutal yeah they are are so (laughs) brutal and and no offense to these movies but when uh, you're watching them like in the way that we are where we're like i have an ex I'm, i'm the same way you were talking earlier i'm like looking at the clock i'm like i can go to sleep at like 11 so i have like an hour and 40 minutes what fits into that time period and I'm watching them, you know, almost like homework. And I'm like, when you're watching a bunch of these downer movies, one after another, I'm like, I cannot wait to get back to s- some really dumb, mindless yeah. movies. And that's why, like, oh. to me, Coda just shined out when I finally, when I got to that. I'm like, oh, thank God, a breath yeah. of fresh air, because it's not so goddamn sad the entire movie.
1: Yeah, and I love all these all the the sad films, and I like that we have films that are dark. Oh yeah, um, but it is you do need the codas for the breaths of fresh air. Believe me, tomorrow night I I'm going to have no more Oscar films available to me to watch tomorrow night because the ones I haven't have come out Tuesday. So it's like, I'm watching Turning Red or The Adam Project or just something where I can kind of turn my brain off. Although Turning Red could get an Oscar nomination next year. <laughs> um, I think the one thing you were talking about horror films though is I will say Spencer to me was it borderline a horror film?
0: (laughs) Oh, it was, yeah, Um, it it made me uncomfortable. The way it was presented. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny because my, growing up, my mom was a huge like princess Diana fan. I mean, we like, it's weird to be like a fan of royalty, but she had, she like read all the books and was really into Mm -hmm. her. um, And when she saw this was coming to our theater, she was like, you know, would you go with me? I'm like, absolutely let's do it. And then our theater, our, our cineplex was like the day of was like, Oh, we're not getting it anymore. Um, so I was like, no. I, when it came out on digital, you know, I paid to rent it and, uh, I, I gave her my, her, my login information logged her in so she could mm. watch it. And she was like, man, that wasn't what I expected. And it's the same way. <laughs> she, she, I think the last movie she saw in theaters was blood diamond. And I'm like, mom, ask me before you watch these things. Cause it's not, it's not an uplifting <laughs> movie about princess Diana. Like no. it's not a feel good, happy movie about her life. Uh, and And you know, we don't need that, like we you need to see the truth, but uh it's yeah it's it's very heavy, and uh yeah,
2: yeah, well,
1: I think this is one of the ones, like you were saying, you have to research your directors, and the uh Pablo uh Lauren, I believe this is how you pronounce his name, his last film was Jackie
2: mm-hmm.
1: with Natalie Portman, and that's very much in a similar tone of this, where it's just like that's a dark movie and a dark take on a public figure, and you kind of see the horror aspects of a life lived in a public eye and that's kind of seems to be his jam so i think um uh i i think if you know that going in you probably would be have would have she would have been less surprised but yeah it's a it's definitely one of those ones where you kind of need to educate the filmmaking audience about i i I saw Spencer in the theater, and there were two women, uh, a couple seats over, and they were just like, what? happening?" I could hear them like whispering with each other. It was like this was not the princess Disney fairy tale story right. that they had they had paid to see.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and, and it's funny because uh, spoiler for the for my listeners, but my next episode, I had a a friend who approached me for this idea he is going to watch all the Razzie nominees and I'm going to have him on similar, similar to what you're doing. And I'm like, I'm going to try to watch a few of them just so I have uh, some insight, but I'm like, you know, I don't know if I can go straight from these to some of those. So uh, uh, that might uh, might, might break my brain.
1: You'll, you'll get some uh, crossover. I mean, I, I, I always find it fascinating that Jared Leto was, I think it was within a week. He was such in the Oscar conversation. He was. It seemed like such a lock that he was going to get an, an Oscar, a Best Supporting Actor nomination, and he did not get an Oscar nomination. He got a Razzie nomination. <laughs> I, I think I sometimes, I mean, some of them are obvious, like Bruce Willis getting a Lifetime Achievement Award or a Actor of the Year Award this year for the 10 bad films he made in one year. But, I mean, sometimes it is with somebody like Jared Leto, it's a thin line between what's amazing and what's terrible. And it's, it really is, uh, just down to the opinion of the viewer at that point.
0: Right. And I think, uh, and like, what was it? Hillbilly LG, like, uh, she got nominated Uh for an Oscar and a Razzie that year. So yeah. Uh, Glenn Close. So, uh, you know, it's a fine line what people consider. And obviously I, I don't support ripping on movies. Um, my, my guess is sort of just, you know, having fun, um, so I'll, I'll make that clear on that episode that I, I, I don't really support <laughs> what the Razzies do. Um, you know, some, I, I, sometimes I think like Bruce Willis, maybe, you know, when he's phoning in, he might be deserving. But, uh, you know, it's it, it is a fine line and it, it, it's a reminder that this all just sort of comes down to opinion, really.
1: Yeah, I, I appreciate the Razzie on a pure level of parody. Uh and I kind of get that. I think there's sometimes where they can get to a point where they're kicking people when they're down. Yeah. Um, and I do think uh I do appreciate people like Halle Berry. I think she showed I think it was Halle Berry who showed up and actually accepted her Razzie in person and then went to the Academy Awards and accepted her Oscar the next night. <laughs> I think it was like it was like that year of Catwoman and uh, yes. uh the film she did with Billy Bob, where she won the Oscar. Was and it? It was, um oh, uh, I'm but I work, I, yeah. I yeah, I I appreciate the people who can take it in the spirit that it's intended, but it can very quickly drop into the category of being mean. I think Bruce Willis, it's kind of more of a commentary of and I don't think Bruce Willis gives a fuck.
2: Right.
0: Exactly. <laughs> he wouldn't be doing these if these movies if he did. I mean, uh Yeah, no. It, it I think yeah,
1: I I've 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 heard stories from people who've worked with him on set and he just kinda of shows up as like, I don't really act anymore. I just kinda of need do this for the money. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like From his own lips.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh Tom Green, I remember uh for Freddie Got Fingered, Mm. showed up and brought his own red carpet and uh rolled it out and walked it and acted like it was, you know, a huge honor to be there and it was actually he he took it in like the most stride, pretty hilarious, so good for him too.
1: And that's very in keeping with his persona. That's exactly (laughs) what I would hope and expect for him to do.
0: Yes. Uh, so that brings us to our second to last category. We have actor in a leading role. We have Javier Bardem. Monsters at...
1: Ball. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. No,
0: th- that's right. I'm glad you said it. Monsters so I...
1: Ball is what Halle Berry won the Academy Award for. Sorry, it was bugging me. Go ahead. <laughs> uh,
0: we have Javier Bardem and uh, Being the Ricardos. We have Benedict Cumberbatch in The Power of the Dog. Andrew Garfield in *Tick, Tick, Boom*, Will Smith in *King Richard*, and Denzel Washington in *The Tragedy of Macbeth*. This is a heavy one, and I also know you said you had uh, a few comments on maybe some uh, snubs or people who didn't uh, get nominated. Uh not so much people who didn't get nominated, but I just, I, I, I
1: kind of wanted to just call out uh, in, a, in the best possible Andrew category, um, and I think he could be the spoiler in this group of. Because, you know, there was a time, if you look back at the first Oscar nominees, they were all nominated for multiple films. It was like, the, it was about the year that they had and not so much about the individual film. And what a year Andrew Garfield had with Tick, Tick, Boom. You know, I don't think you can discount, like we were saying earlier, him being the scene partner to Jessica Chastain for uh, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Like he, what's helping her get to that performance is she has an amazing, ten- you know, it's like when you play tennis with somebody, they up your game. And Andrew Garfield, what an amazing tennis player for Jessica Chastain to have to get her to the point where she needed to be to get that Oscar. Um, and then, honestly, Andrew Garfield kind of freaking stole the show in Spider Man No Way Home. Like, he broke yep. my heart.
2: <laughs> yeah, for real.
1: <laughs> like, who knew, who knew that the emotional baggage from Sp- the amazing Spider Man 2 would have such an impact? Like, Jesus. Um, and well done to the screenwriters and Andrew Garfield for making that land. Um, so I think Andrew Garfield, if I had to give an award based on the year the performer had, I would give the Oscar to Andrew Garfield. Um uh but that's not how this works. It's for the film and if you look at the again you look at the guilds while Andrew Garfield did win a golden globe for best actor musical comedy, Will Smith won it for the best actor in a drama. He also won the SAG, the BAFTA and the Critics' Choice. Will Smith is a producer on King Richard. Uh, I don't see you know, King Richard's not nominated for directing. I would be kind of surprised if it won a Writer's Guild Award. Uh, sorry to the, your friend who's with the story who knows the writer. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, and I don't think it's going to win picture, but I think that's because Will Smith is what you honor from this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the scope of his career. And Javier Bardem and Denzel Washington have won Oscars. And Benedict Cumberbatch and Andrew Garfield are both two British actors around the same age who have both had two nominations who have been here before, and they will absolutely be here again. Um, will Smith has been trying and working and hustling for this and really did quite the campaign this year with his book and personal emissions and everything to get to this point of getting this award. This is his entire year has been built around getting this Oscar. And I think they're going to give it to him.
0: There's a little controversy I've seen on this one um, because people mm-hmm. feel like a male is taking the glory of a movie about celebrating female athletes, but um, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I, I can I can see that point. I think the way the the reason I I I, I think that's one of those ones where your people are digging for the controversy. I think so opinion. too. Yeah. Uh, I think I think that the, the deciding factor in that is that Venus and Serena are part of the team that made the film. Mm-hmm. They were involved. They this is the story that they wanted to get out there. This is, you know, they're executive producers in the movie. Um, so they're okay with it. So if, if it had been done without their consent and their input and their involvement, I think that's a valid point. But when they are the ones saying, this is the story of our childhood we want to tell and we want to tell it in this way, I, I think to make that, criticism, make that criticism minimizes their voice and their role in the making of the movie itself. So I, I, I can't really see that.
0: I, I'll agree with that. I just I knew uh I, a few times I've seen that post up, you know, online people were sort of like making, you know, yeah. he's making it about himself. But I'm like, well, I mean, he's the one that in, in real life, the dad was the one that, you know, took them to that next level. I don't know. It's I, yeah. I, I again, I, I agree with you that people are just digging to find controversy in, in many ways. But that brings us to our final, the biggest category of the night, best picture we have Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. Wow. That
1: is, those are ten fucking fantastic films. Yes. <laughs> I, know, I know it's going to be ten films that not a lot of people have seen, but these are ten fantastic films. <laughs> um, it's a really good selection of movies. Um, uh, I think, alas, it's going to come down to two um uh i i you know belfast was great i think it was probably an early favorite because it came out early uh i think it's lost a lot of momentum i don't think don't i I love don't look up i love adam mckay um i don't think because it came out on netflix i, I never thought it had the momentum to really sustain it drive my cars award is going to be the international feature like we talked about um i love dune i think dune is great i think the fact that Dune is not a complete story unto itself. Mm-hmm. I don't think it wins here. I think if, if if Dune is ever gonna win an Oscar for Best Picture, it'll be for part two or a part three. Uh much like Lord of the Rings when it's 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 a proven franchise that they can award at the end of its run. Um King Richard, I th- like I said, I think that's Will Smith's uh, award, and that's going to be the uh, – giving Will Smith Best Actor is like giving King Richard Best, act, best Picture, I think, in the Academy's mind. Right. I think licor- Licorice Pizza was fun. I enjoyed it. I can't really see it winning Best Picture. Me either, um, no. I, I had a good time with it, but it wasn't it – didn't, I didn't fall in love with it either. I love Nightmare Alley, but Guillermo del Toro has been here before, and um, I do think that would be an odd winner. And uh, Spielberg for West Side Story. I think that film had done better at the box office. It would have more buzz on it, but um, it it unfortunately it just didn't. Audiences weren't willing to kind of make the jump to go out there. Uh, whether that was the film itself, or you know the marketing of the film, or the um, or or that where we were in the pandemic with Omicron at that point, it just never quite got out there to the audiences. They never took the chance on it, which is too bad. It needs to be seen. It's on Disney Plus. If you haven't seen West Side Story. Watch fucking West Side Story. It's great. Yes. Um, but we're talking about what's going to win, what's potentially going to win, and it's it's a toss up between the power of the dog and Coda. And it's going to go either way. Uh, like I said, if you it's, I I really watched that adapted screenplay um, category. You'll see if Coda wins it or if Power of the Dog wins it. You'll see which way the wind is blowing because if Power of Dog wins screenplay and wins director, it's going to be really hard for it not to be justified as best picture you know if coda wins best picture even though power of dog won director and adapted screenplay it's like well how can you have the best screenplay in the best direction and and not not be the best picture? yeah
0: not be the best movie yeah yeah but
1: if if power of dog maybe takes director but coda takes screenplay it's easier to justify that balance and i think that's the way this is probably going to go um uh so uh and you know for, for, for precedent Power of Dog won the BAFTA, it won the Critics' Choice Awards, it won the Golden Globe for Drama. Again, we don't talk about the Golden Globes, but it did. And Coda won, the big one was last night, and actually asked you to delay recording this podcast (laughs) until we could see the PGA Awards for this very reason. And last night, Coda won the Producers Guild Award. And the producers are the ones who get the Academy Award for Best Picture. Those are the honorees, it's the producers of the film and the guild that represents the producers chose to honor coda and mo- and almost all those producers are academy members so you're going to see a lot of crossover there and to a lesser extent coda also won the best ensemble award at the sag awards which is the closest the sag has to a best picture category is the best ensemble performance so a lot of recent wins uh for coda i think it has a lot of momentum behind it i think it has a lot of feel-good energy behind it and i think. If Jane Campion, if if Jane Campion doesn't take the adapted screenplay Oscar, but she does take the director Oscar, I think you're going to see an indication that the Academy feels like they've done Jane Camp, they've given Jane Campion her due with the directing Oscar and that, and that they satisfied that need. She's been nominated twice. She's going to have won. It'll be an amazing win as a director for Jane Campion because she'll only, it'll be the first time in history that back to back women have won the best directing Oscar, which I should have mentioned in that category and I didn't. But um, I think that's a really amazing precedent that the Academy is going to embrace with these awards. Um, but like Will Smith taking the best uh, acting Oscar for King Richard. Jane Campion taking the Best Directing Oscar for Power of Dog. I think those are the stars of those films. Mm-hmm. And that opens up a door for Coda to become the best picture overall, where they've awarded the individuals in their categories. But Coda becomes the best picture. And I think I, 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 the more I've been I, for a while, I thought Power of the Dog was the favorite. Coda, dog, Coda was going to be the spoiler underdog after last night. I think Coda's the favorite. I think Coda walks away a week from tonight with the Academy Award for Best Picture.
0: Well, I think uh, Sam Elliott would agree with you there. Uh, Don't get me, man. man. (laughs) I don't want to end on that note. uh, No,
1: I mean, uh, yeah. I I agree that New Zealand does not look like Montana, but that is the uh, extent of where I will give Sam Elliott any credit for what he's – said that he's just showing his age and his naivety yeah yeah that
0: was wild i imagine if i'm like and i have sam elliot on the line here welcome to you know bring him hey
1: yeah, listen i listen if we want to sam Elliott, let's talk about roadhouse let's go exactly let's i
0: would love that let's talk I, about big lebowski we could go another four <laughs> hours if we have sam elliot on here but uh
1: yeah, I, I, I think what we've learned in recent times is every actor, musician, uh, filmmaker, artist, everyone we love will eventually reach an age where their opi- opinions become unpopular. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> they all, uh, that eventually everyone a- ages out of their era and we find out that they've aged badly. Um, and unfortunately, Sam Elliott hit that point this year. And I it makes me sad because I love so many of his performances, but um yeah, that wasn't that is not going to go down as his best moment. <laughs>
0: no, and I think sometimes it falls a little bit of the blame falls onto people asking because we for a while there it was like every reporter was asking every old director what they thought of Marvel movies, and then mm-hmm.
2: they
0: they give their opinion because they're asked, not because they wanted to give their opinion, but someone asked them, and then everybody jumps on their throat. Oh, no.
1: Martin Scorsese was writing editorials. He wanted to give that.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Martin Scorsese and uh, Martin Scorsese and Francis Coppola went out of their way to make those opinions and they do it on multiple occasions, actually. Um, and I, and, and honestly, as a fan of a tremendous fan of both of their work and Coppola is one of my literal idols. Um, I, I I understand the point of view of their comments, even though I do not agree with them. Um I do, th- but I, you know, I, 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 can. You could do a, I can do a whole podcast about filmmakers aging out of their, their time frame. There are some wonderful Chaplin comments about widescreen movies and, <laughs> uh, and, and, and how he thought the, you know, and and commentaries he made about sound in pictures and city lights. Um, you know, things that he just thought the industry was losing, and he wasn't wrong. They were losing them. But filmmaking is has been around now for uh, 120, 130 years. And it evolves and it ages past its artists and past the people who make the films, and new languages come about and new ways of making films come about. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry to the old generation to see for them to see their way of doing it uh, age away. And I love the way they did it. And clearly, I'm a fan of all the eras. But uh, this is just how things grow and a change, and how genera- different generations perceive the visual motion. And it's part of what the generation of Coppola and Scorsese, I did. I mean, George Lucas taught us to watch. There was a contemporary of theirs and a friend of theirs uh, taught us with Star Wars how to watch movies at a faster pace and a faster clip. Yeah. Um. And now that Star Wars original Star Wars film seems slow, um, to a lot of people, to at least young people. Um. And uh, there's a fade to black in Star Wars. Like what the hell, who would do put a fade to black <laughs> in a sci-fi movie? Um. And. Uh, you know, I think the language changes. So I, I think that's unfortunate. It's, it's, I, it's sad to see people age out of their opinions, age out of the contemporary, but I, uh, I don't hold it against them. Anyways, that was a hell of a rant to end the podcast. On.
0: <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Um, as always, you know, listen to this, uh, and, and as he said, pay attention watch along. Um, we're, we'll be watching, uh, this coming Sunday. If you're listening to this, uh, sometime this week, uh, watch along with us. Um, as always, I'm sort of always on Twitter watching along, seeing what people have to say. I, you know, it's, it's always, uh, exciting for me to, uh, and one year we'll have an Oscar party at the Capitol. It'll be a lot of fun, but, um, I sort of enjoy nice. sitting at home in my, the comfort of my home watching these and, uh, playing along, looking at my ballot. So fill out your ballot. Uh, Brian has your safe bets on here. He's, he's done more research yeah. than anybody. Uh, and, and more than you'll, you'll <laughs> more than any of my, my listeners are willing to do so. Uh, that's a safe bet to go if if you want to win your um, work Oscar pool. Well, but um, I will say,
1: if you're doing your work Oscar pool, make sure you fill out your ballot by 4 p.m. when the red carpet starts, because awards will start to come out at four an hour before the actual ceremony starts. So make sure you do your Oscar ballots bef- an hour before the actual broadcast starts because of those eight categories.
2: Yeah.
0: I-, <laughs> I would say just get them done by Saturday, like by the end of the night, Saturday, just to be safe, just get yeah. them done. Cause there, nothing's going to change between then, then and the next morning, but um, where can yeah. people check out some of your, uh, your short films that ha- are finished out there? I know that um, you, uh, have, you have spots, right? You can-
1: yeah, you can check out. Uh, I'm pretty much just look up uh, film crew. F I L M C R E W E crew spelled like my last name. Uh, you can go to filmcrew.com, or uh, that's my handle on Netflix. Uh, there's a uh, Facebook page and a lot of my and and on YouTube, and uh, my films are up there. Uh, you can also see a trailer for Cabaseo right now, and hopefully in about a month, six weeks, there'll be a trailer for Flat Earther. And there will be screening dates coming up uh, for all the film festivals we hope to be in this uh, this year and this summer. And hopefully I'll be in a town where uh, some of your listeners are uh, um, are, are going to be able to see the film. And we'll be able to actually meet in person and interact. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yes, I'll make sure to always uh, link your your webpage in the show notes so people can easily access. Click that and I'll, I'll make sure to share the trailer because I'm excited to have you back making films again. Uh, it felt like it was too long. So it's just good to have to look forward to have two new Brian crew films. So um. that
1: was, that is, thank you. That was one of the reasons we, I wanted to do the two is I, I felt like it takes a lot of effort to get everything mobilized. And then it's one film and you kind of are stuck talking about one topic for a while. So I really wanted to do two back to back, but uh hopefully there's some other stuff that I was working on in between those short films, uh, longer, t- a TV pilot and some uh feature scripts that will, uh get made eventually too i wasn't being idle i just uh was my attention was focused elsewhere and hopefully uh you get to see the results of some of that stuff
0: excellent And i'll have to have you back on because i i i had no idea you were such a big bond head otherwise i would have already uh had you had you on for a few bond films but um
1: i actually took a class when i was a producing class at usc with michael g wilson the producer of the bond films Ooh.
0: Well, excellent. Yeah. As always, uh, thank you so much for coming on, Brian. Your time is and your research is invaluable. I think uh, you know you're the best guest to have on this episode.
1: Ah, oh, thank you so much. I'm I'm glad to uh, do an, a nerdy information dump from everything in my brain.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, now that we're um, sort of through this, we can go back to watching normal movies for a little bit and, until you know, <laughs> until our our you know next year it starts right over right after the Oscars are over. The next wave of films, but. Um, Again, thanks so much for coming on. Can't wait till the next time, and we'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. A special thank you goes out to my friend Scott Schreiner for our intro and outro music. We'll see you next week on First Time Podcast.